Hello, listeners. You are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans, and it is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2021 MLB season. Enjoy. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Uh, today, is it is Monday. It is currently uh, 5.14, uh, where we are, Travis. Um, recording this episode, sort of an end-of-the-month episode for us. Uh, it is, you know, the last day of, of uh, August here, and so we are going to uh, be presenting our, I guess, all MLB teams uh, through the whole season up through uh, through August. So um, that's like sort of going to be the meat of today's episode. Also going to be giving you our awards up until this point in the season, as well as like an all August player, um, best player of the month in our minds, uh, in our opinion. We're going to cover all that uh, towards the middle of the show. Going to start out uh, with some uh, more interesting tidbits about what's going on in baseball this last week. Wander Franco has really surged onto the scene in a big way. The number one prospect for multiple years. So we all knew this kind of performance was coming from him. And we just want to take a little bit of a look at what he's done these last uh, few weeks here. Also, a brief message about uh, the Little League World Series. A uh, pitcher by the name of Gavin Weir is making tons of headlines. So we're going to mention him if you haven't already heard about what he's been doing um, in the Little League World Series so far. Um we're going to throw in some trivia, like always, Travis, and also uh, cover, uh, I guess, kind of a hot topic as of yesterday when uh, the Mets players, Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor, um, when they were getting on base, getting base hits, they would give a thumbs down to, like, towards the dugout, I guess, but I guess it's meant to be kind of towards the fans. And the quote was very interesting. The quote was, I think it was, it was Baez. Um, essentially, the idea is that he said, "If we're if they're gonna boo us when we do bad, when we don't succeed, then we're gonna boo them when we do succeed." And that is just a really like kind of twisted but like interesting way to like think about the player versus fan relationship. So we'll get into that in a second here, Travis. Um, but uh, I think we can start with an uh, interesting piece of news, which is Yadier Molina. Um, he signed an extension for one year next season. He says it'll be his last. He has been a player pretty much our whole life, Travis. He's been a, a veteran pretty much the entire time we've followed the game of baseball. We've not really known the catcher position without thinking about Yadier Molina almost our whole you know time yeah. as a fan. So talk us through what that deal means in your mind and what it could mean for next season and uh, just your overall thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a feel-good just ending to Yadier's career. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the the smartest decision for the Cardinals to move forward um, with, you know, a 40-year-old Yadier Molina. Right now he's finishing his 38th season or 38 years old um, this season. So uh, next season, of course, just kind of an aging veteran as we've seen the numbers kind of dip the past five years as everyone does. But um, the catching position especially, um, Yadier Molina, of course, is kind of trending down, um, you know, average-wise, on-base-wise, slugging-wise, all that stuff, of course, going down. Um, so yeah, he, he actually looked like he signed a one year, um, $10 million contract. I think it's going to be kind of like his little farewell tour that he wants. 
Um, and rightfully so. I mean, he's been kind of the Cardinals, uh, you know, main catcher for almost two decades now. And so uh, I, th- I think it's it, it's it's appropriate, I think, to get the one year deal. Um, but Alex, on my hand, I think that the $10, $10 million is a little bit. Uh, it's steep. It's a little bit, yeah, too expensive if, if I was any other franchise or GM for another franchise for Yadier or Molina and what you're going to get from him. 100% agree because, Travis, imagine if, you know, the Angels, you know, Suzuki will be leaving in the offseason. I, I am crossing my fingers that that's <laughs> going to be the case. And so they're probably going to look for another backup for Stassi. Hopefully just someone who's going to be like a low-key signing. If they went and got Yadier for 10, 10 mil, I'd be, I'd be like... Why are we spending? Yeah, why yeah. are we putting our money, our valuable, like limited uh, salary, our budget towards a player that is, you know, you're almost kind of paying him for what he was, and it's the Cardinals are also in the interesting spot of where it makes sense for only them to pay him more than anyone else because um, if you talk to Adam Wainwright, if you talk to Jack Flaherty, they will say that Yadier Molina is the catcher goat. Like they will say he's yeah. the greatest mm-hmm. ever. I've heard Flaherty say that multiple times, and Wainwright and him have been a battery for you know, like we said, almost two decades. Like it's you know Wainwright's entire career. Yeah, I think Wainwright's going to be forty, and his entire career he's had Yadi as like his durable, reliable uh, backstop. So it makes sense why you know it's almost good for the pitchers. The pitchers love Yadi, so it makes sense why they want to keep him. But that ten mil completely like from like a business like sense, it seems like uh, too much when your team is probably not going to make the playoffs. And you're trying to, you know, you feel like they're only one piece away from the playoffs, probably. Definitely. So yeah. you're putting all your money towards keeping this guy who's gonna be keep getting worse. So yeah. So I I thought of course the 10 mil was a little bit steep, and like we agreed to, uh, you know, I, I think it, it it that's what it costs to get that legacy name like Yadier or Molina. Um, I think of course having him one more season, um, both parties wanted to um, kind of end on a good note and have him you know walk out as a St. Louis Cardinal, and so. Of course, kind of the next path you look at for Yadier Molina is um, the Hall of Fame trajectory. Um, and we kind of want to talk about that right now, just for a brief um, minute, just to go about uh, Yadier's career, you know, what he's done uh, behind the plate, what he's done in the batter's box, and kind of uh, talk about what, you know, it looks like for Cooperstown for him. So I'll start with you, Alex. You know, Hall of Fame odds right now, Yadier Molina, what do you think and what's your gut feeling? I, I guess you could have a, you know, emotional you know, kind of decision and also kind of a logical decision with your head. But right now, what do you think about Yadier Molina in five years or now six years for the Hall of Fame? Sure. Um, so my, the, I guess my my thought process on this for a long time was that I didn't think he'd be a Hall of Famer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think digging more into it, uh, I would be leaning towards, yes, he, he will probably be a Hall of Famer. Um, and do I think that that's right? Um, I think... I think I'm okay with it. I think him being a Hall of Famer is is uh, you know th- there there are certainly worse catchers than him that are in, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know I, I I'm interested to see what that voting in that first year looks like. The first year he's on the ballot, I wonder what percent he will get. Um, that's a really hard thing hard thing to predict, but um, it also probably depend a bit about how this next season goes for him. But uh, I think the one case that he has very uh, strong in his favor is. He plays not only several years at the catcher position. He's not one of these guys that's kind of transitioned to first base like a Maurer. So there's some great catchers like Maurer, like, uh, you know, guys like Mike Piazza maybe. These are catchers who were great hitters. And in order to keep that bat in on the lineup every day, they started playing lots of first base. Eventually just became like, you know, true first baseman uh, by the end of their careers. Um, Yadi's not like that. He has been a catcher through and through, which will help him in the mind of people who really appreciate, you know, a guy that 
um, I guess, is dedicated to doing it on both ends. I'm going to be the defensive catcher. I'm going to be the, you know, guy in the lineup as well. Um, and he also, compared to a lot of catchers, he doesn't take that many days off. He, you know, catches, you know, he's he's, he's the regular guy. Obviously, no catcher can catch 100, 162 games, but he, he you know, he puts pressure on that number. He he definitely, um he's like, you know, a workhorse back there. Um, his pitchers uh, really like him and appreciate him, and I think it'll help his Cooperstown odds as well. So, uh, Travis, I guess where do you see him in terms of his legacy, in terms of Cooperstown? Um, give you, give me your analysis. Yeah, I think he'll definitely be a Hall of Famer in Cooperstown. I don't know if it's going to be you know the first year, if it's going to be the first five years. Um, I think he'll be a guy that will get in. I think relatively quickly. I think like a, a good the first five years he's on the ballot, he'll get in. Um, I think we all will remember Yadier Molina as just that defensive you know juggernaut behind home plate looking at kind of his career um, awards and and looking at you know the full aspect of his career for uh, platinum gloves which is you know pretty much higher than a gold glove you're looking at one of the best catchers in the major leagues and actually he actually has the most platinum gloves of all of all time uh, you know platinum gloves coming coming out in uh, I think it was the early 2000s so they really haven't been around too long unlike gold gloves. But, uh, you know, currently right now with nine gold gloves, uh, one silver slugger, and of course a couple, you know, World Series, uh, you know, appearances for Yadier Molina and actually championships as well. But, you know, you actually brought up a great point, Alex, with uh, Joe Maurer. And I actually wanted to compare both their stats because I consider Joe Maurer, like me and you, to be one of the greatest, you know, catchers, uh, hitting catchers of all time. Yeah. The batting, the batting titles just stand, speak for Exactly. And, and I think Joe Maurer will get in. I think you look at, of course, when you look at, um, you know, a full durability of someone's career, but also if you look at it as a peak, peak Joe Maurer is unlike anyone else mm-hmm. in, you know, when you hit 365 as a catcher, that is saying something really special about you. So um, I think Joe Maurer is a guy that definitely will be a Hall of Famer one day when his name is on the ballot. I think he'll get in. Um, Yadier Molina, you know, it's funny when you look at kind of the advanced stats, that's where he kind of is not, you know, showing really promising numbers right, right now right uh, i mean you look at his on base percentage right now career-wise it's only a 331 that that should that'd be great if that was an average but it's a 331 on base mm-hmm. and then slugging only 402 so really low numbers there with only a 733 ops and a 97 ops plus so he's a below just your average ball player he's actually below uh, below average hitter I, I was having the same thought a minute ago looking at his at his base reference page travis per- perfectly summed up he is career-wise been a below average hitter and only seven of his 18 seasons that he's played he is above 100 ops for that year mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. only seven years of his long long career um were did he have a, was he an above average hitter by the metric of ops plus so yeah, yeah. um so that just kind of tells me that we may overrate like how good his offense was in his prime he was a good hitter he yeah. was an all-star yeah. hitter there's no denying that but that prime was not very long, and in the beginning of his career, as well as the end, there was several years of several straight years where um, he just was not. Uh, he was a below average hitter, and but what really makes up for Travis is the the arm behind the plate, as well as yeah. overall just the, the the defense behind the plate, the game calling, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I, I see this stat come up every once in a while about Yadier Molina, and since he came into the league, Travis, I don't know if you've seen it. Where um, I wish I had it in front of me, I don't, but I'm just trying to summarize it. Uh, essentially, it shows the caught, uh, the um, stolen bases allowed, right? Mm-hmm. For every team yeah. in baseball since he came into the league 2004. So 2004 to present day, stolen bases allowed by team. And every team, they're up in like the, 
a few thousand. Yeah. And it's like, you know, 1,500, 1,300, and then it starts like going down and down. Like, ooh, these teams are only letting like 1,200 guys steal. Yeah. And then there's this second place is up in like the, you know, you know, 1,200 or something like that. And the Cardinals are down at like 800. So the gap between second place and first place is so big because Yachty, as a Cardinal, he's been the yeah. Cardinals catcher, yeah. their only guy in that whole mm-hmm. time. He has just been such a dominant, um, I guess, caught stealing kind of guy and yeah that has its own value that you know might not appear in uh i guess you know someone's advanced stats that we're looking at um it's definitely a factor in 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 some metrics but um it's definitely a huge it is it is almost the reason why he has stuck around uh and had been so successful at his age is because what he does behind the plate almost makes up for for the bat that we all know is is declining uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, and I, I you know I kind of look at him kind of like as almost his one of his best friends, our pools. I, I think they both have great numbers when you look at counting stats, but when you look at of course the uh, you know percentage stats, that's where you get a little bit hurt. Still though, I will say an impressive two eighty batting average from Yadier Molina in his career. Um, but going back to the whole Joe Maurer comparisons, it's actually funny that you know he will actually finish with probably more hits in his career than Joe Maurer will, and also more doubles and more home runs, uh, more total bases and more RBIs. So you know you look at kind of that aspect too, as you as, as uh, the counting stats wise. And, and Joe Maurer was a guy that of course had you know a bunch of hits, a bunch of runs, that sort of thing, but also was really good at keeping the batting average, on base, slugging percentage all at a very good number for. Um, a hitting catcher but you know even you look at these numbers Yadier is still um, you know putting up better numbers than a guy like Joe Maurer and as we all know um, a lot more defensive awards than Joe Maurer um, right behind the plate so I think he'll be a Hall of Famer without a doubt I think people will remember you know Yadier Molina I think all of us you know growing up um, you know when you think of like top defensive catchers Yadier Molina is that guy you don't run on Yadier Molina you don't run on Pudge Rodriguez um, those are of course guys even Johnny Bench I think you remember those, those great defensive catchers back in the day um, those three of course speak out Piazza being a, a, a good defensive catcher but we all know for him as he is probably one of the best bats for a catcher in in the history right yes it's almost like these Hall of Fame catchers they almost go into one of two categories like mm-hmm. was your bat on another level or were you just a good defensive catcher for a really long time and the bat was serviceable? Yeah. So Yachty yeah. is in, in this category of like your bat was serviceable for a long time. The prime bat was like an all-star level prime bat. But um, in, in reality, it comes down to, you know, the in his prime, the framing was elite. The arm was elite. He just did a lot behind the plate to get those platinum gloves that you mentioned. So, And I think also being on a successful Cardinals team in his career, going to the postseason almost every single year, you know, going to a bunch of World Series, I think that'll also be uh, really kind to him as the voters go through that, you know, analysis. Um, you know, how many teams, how many times did the Cardinals won the division? How many times did the Cardinals go to the World Series and how many World Series championships he was a part of? Um, right. I think that's something, that of course, will speak to a lot of voters' mind as well. Um, I think most voters will look at, you know, they, I think they do, they, they got to look at postseason, ex, you know, experience and success. Um, some guys, of course, having good careers, but great postseasons, I think that really will, of course, help their odds. You know, you know, one guy, of course, I rings a bell is like David Ortiz. Um, he's on the ballot upcoming this year. Um, talk about one of the best postseason performers of all time uh, in David Ortiz. And the most clutch kind of yeah. guy right there. So I uh, just want to talk about Yadier Molina um, and just kind of go over the little extension. You know, I think it's, it's a little bit of a, a crazy extension contract, but I think 
you know, his career has warranted some kind of payday. I th- you're so. right. You're right. Exactly. So I think that, um, you know, both parties are happy. And I think when you look down the road, Yadier Molina, of course, will be wearing Cardinals red in the Hall of Fame. Um, and it'll, of course, be, you know, a great thing for both parties. And so, um, Alex, what should we move on to next? Yeah. So I actually wanted to cover Wander Franco now. I have a, a stat up in front of me on him. So essentially, for those that don't know, Wander Franco has been the number one prospect in all of baseball going into this season. I think going into last season as well. I think ever since Ronald Acuna Jr. became, because Acuna Jr. was number one for a while, and then he, of course, became an all-star in the league, so you're no longer on the on the prospect list. And then shortly after, Wander Franco, the last couple seasons, has been that number one prospect in all of baseball. Tampa Bay Rays shortstop, um, switch hitter. He's just been He's just been hyped up like crazy as a prospect. I think he's only... I think he's only 20 right now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so the stat in front of me here, Travis, he currently is on a 29 straight games of getting on base at least once. Um, they're actually playing right now against Boston, and he's not gotten on base yet. Oh, wow. So okay. streaks in jeopardy. But the game's only like halfway over. He's got plenty of time. A couple at-bats still. But um, essentially, folks, 29 straight games as of this was as of Sunday, um, the last time they played, uh, 29 straight games of getting on base. That is uh, only one, two, three, four, five players at age 20 or younger have a longer streak. So I'm just going to kind of go over like these names and like this company that he's in essentially. So Wander Franco at 29 uh, and then Mel Ott is at 30. Only one more game to catch Mel Ott. Um, Mel Ott actually had two different streaks, it seems, which is kind of crazy. Mel Ott in 1928 to 1929, he had a 30 game streak. And then in 1929, again, he had a 33 game streak. Which is pretty just wild right kind there. Kind of a low-key goat. Yeah, he just he, <laughs> he, he gets kind of slept on as like a old New York giant who I guess doesn't have a lot of the same like fame as like the uh, the uh, other New York team at the time. Of course, the uh, Bronx, yeah, the Bronx Bombers right. were the guys making the headlines. But so Mel Ott is uh, is on the list as well um, with more on-base streak than Franco. Um, Arky Vaughn is on the streak. Uh, he's a, a bigger streak at 33 straight games getting on base um, at age 20 or younger. Arky Vaughn, a really underrated like shortstop, really an all-time kind of guy, but doesn't get talked about as much. Um, Mickey Mantle, 36. We're getting into some like inner circle Hall of Famers now. Mickey Mantle uh, in 1951 to 52 had a 36 straight games of getting on base. And then the crown of this whole list is Frank Robinson, actually in 1956 had 43 straight games getting on base super impressive streak and that's once again all these all these streaks are 20 years old or under so wander franco is now kind of in this class with like solid solid hall of famers these are all first ballot hall of famer guys um so not you know obviously his career is just beginning so he has a lot to do but it's kind of showing that he's off to the start a historic start to his year it's really cool to kind of see him get hot um for this race team uh the race team obviously is going to be making the postseason and um this should be very exciting but um it's cool to see their youngsters that have been hyped up sort of live up, live up they're living up to the hype early so Charles, i guess any thoughts on Wander franco so far yeah and the one thing i looked at you know on his baseball reference page that i'm i'm blown away by and, and just kind of really impressed is you know he's only been in the league for about 50 games since i think late june he mm-hmm made his debut already a 2.3 war so you know he's right you know he's being an absolute you know great producer at the plate but also in the field kind of playing all over the place um shortstop a little bit of third base and so um he's just one of those guys i think the rays really uh of course it really blends in with that team in that style with you know 
he's not he's not a, he's of course he's a big name because he was the number one prospect yeah. in baseball. But I think being the way he plays and how he goes about it, I think he'll be of course a great addition um, coming the playoffs and you know really being a new kind of fresh perspective that they kind of needed. Um, you know, in losing some key names for that last year's World Series run, but um, the WAR of course speaks out to me. I'm very impressed with that, and of course just the OPS plus, uh, OPS plus, yeah, 122. Um, doing really good as a rookie. Just wish, of course, we could have seen it maybe a full season of this. Um, could possibly hurt his shot at maybe a rookie of the year. But, of course, um, you know, who knows? He could actually have a flat-out insane, um, you know, September. He could, you know, keep the on-base streak going. That'd be something really insane if he finished the year with like a 50-60 game on-base streak. Um, I think that would be a very good, um, very good thing for the voters to look at. Um, and to, you know, analyze to see if he, you know, registers as kind of a, a rookie of the year kind of guy. Um, of course, he's competing with one of his other teammates, uh, Randy Rosarena, which is kind of funny that, you know, two young guys are, uh, are you know, it, still competing for the same award. Yeah, it's a bright future over in Tampa Bay. They got even more prospects, you know, high on the rankings overall. I know Vidal Brujan made his debut, but he's still kind of um, waiting for his breakout. And then you have, you know, they trade, got uh, Luis Patino. There's tons of youth, uh, Francisco Mejia. There's tons of youth going on in Tampa Bay. That it's 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 funny that they have such a low key kind of starting team that ends up winning the AL exactly, <laughs> more often than yeah. not, and that they still have the youth kind of in waiting. They're like almost like they're going to keep doing this for the next rest of the decade, pretty much. But you know, you know, we're we're excited to kind of track these young players and how they kind of progress. But cool to see uh, Juan Franco getting this great start to his career so far. Um, Travis, I think now we can just, I want to just really briefly, mm-hmm. briefly highlight the Little League World Series. Um, it's so fun to watch these young kids. It, it reminds us of playing, I'm sure, Travis, back in, back in the day of, uh, our Little League days. But, um, Gavin Weir is a, a, a pitcher who, for those that don't know, um, I think he's, a, I think he's a, a big lefty thrower. He, he looks, he's just, like Chris Sale. <laughs> the classic example of the kind of, some kid is just a little bit bigger than the rest of the kids and they just start dominating at a, at a crazy level. Yeah. Uh, Pu- puberty hits in for some of those that, that and it, they just start dominating. So, yeah. And so the, this kid, uh, for those that don't know, essentially, I want to say it was uh, about 40 innings, 40 plus innings of just no runs allowed baseball. And then he went and threw a no hitter, which is just like, it, it's, I, I, I remember there being dominant pitchers in our days at Little League, Travis, but this is just like a completely other level. You're going to the Little League World Series, and you're shutting everyone out. Not only shutting everyone out, you're throwing no hitters. It's just like a really crazy level of, of dominance, and it's almost like, I think you mentioned it to me, like, are, are anyone, are, is there any, I guess, college programs already contacting this guy's yeah, parents, yeah. like, already on the lookout, like, saying, we have to keep our eyes on this kid now. Even though he's 12, he's already going to be special. So it's just kind of funny to see... Um, a breakout star so young it's just kind of funny that he's getting all these headlines and, and good for him and, yeah. any, any thoughts on that Travis yeah and I think also I should point out too uh, being a left-handed pitcher not even division one or college programs I think even MLB scouts I mean you probably look at the guy saying man could we possibly draft this kid um, you know right out of high school he can honestly be kind of a similarity to like Bryce Harper where he uh, finishes high school early goes and plays at like a, a, a smaller community college I know depending on the different state rules for uh, high school credentials, but I mean, imagine this guy getting drafted, you know, at the age of you know, 16 or 17 and he's in the league at 19 and is some kind of young phenom. Uh, Pirates are going to start thinking now for him. Of course, that's kind of like looking way down the line. Also, I don't want to give this kid uh, a bunch of pressure like that. But when you can, when you compete and you dominate at that level, I mean, like you said, I think it was 
it was over 40 innings pitched and only one hit or something like that. And that's just like... And, ins- then, and then the no-hitter came. And that's like, okay. the no-hitter. And that's just insanity. It was actually the second no-hitter of the College World Series um, pretty much the, during the tournament for him. The Little so, League World Series, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Little League World Series, my bad. <laughs> Not yet college yeah. yet. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, just, just insane. I mean, just see, insane to see that kind of kid. And you always had those pitchers back in the day that, you know, always for some reason dominated and they always just made everyone's, you know, headlines that Little League just... Yeah, made everyone you know, else like, look silly. Oh, crap, I got to face this guy today in this team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, really, really cool to see that kind of stuff happening. And, and Little League World Series is so cool. Only thing that sucked was, of course, no international teams. Um, so, you know, you, you didn't get to see, of course, Japan face him or, you know, some of these other countries that have really good, you know, just baseball academies coming out of that, of those countries. But, right. um, but yeah, really cool show, really cool, um, you know, Little League Road Series. I like how they had the whole, I think they had like Tom Seaver and Hank Aaron, um, different like championships. And then the winner yeah. of those championships played in the ultimate championship. I'm pretty sure Michigan, of course, won it all. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just insane for, for that whole, you know, kind of thing and other those kids had to go through. So, um, yeah, look out for those kind of kids to be, you know, getting almost those college scholarships yeah. right now. Yeah. Cause they always highlight in the, in MLB games, like, or even in, in little league games, they'll say, oh yeah, um, this player, that player that, you know, on your favorite baseball team actually was in their own little league world series. They yeah. made the world series game. They won the world series or whatever when they were in little league. It's always funny to see those stories. And, uh, and, and it, it kind of reminds you that those guys were all just little kids at one point and they were just, you know, studs back then too. No, exactly. And, and you know, I think the big images that you think of when you think of like little league world series, I know there's an image of Derek Jeter and right next to him is Todd Frazier. And, um, Todd Frazier was in one of the little league world series growing up and it was like in the 1990s and, they won the World Series, I'm pretty sure, and they got to visit the Yankees, and they got to take the field and do the national anthem with the Yankees. And you see Todd Frazier, an all-star, next to Derek Jeter, a Hall of Famer. And so That's it, funny, yeah. it's just kind of like that, that image is so insane, and, and it's just like who knew that would ever happen. Um, but, I, I, you know, I'm thinking there was – I think there's about maybe one or two guys. I don't know the names, but I, I know there are a couple guys out there that have been uh, in the Little League World Series, College World Series, and the actual MLB World Series – um, that'd be a kind of a insane fraternity to be a part of because um, wherever you go, you win. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's kind of just the yeah, you, basics of it right You've there. definitely been blessed if you're in that kind of category. Um, Charles, I think the last thing we'll cover before we get into the uh, the meat of the episode is the Mets drama that I guess is unfolding right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. So as of yesterday, I mentioned already, essentially some players in the Mets were giving thumbs down as they're sort of, you know, every team has a little thing they do to the, to the dugout. You know, Ronald Acuna is going like, to stir the bowl or whatever he's stir doing. The pot. <laughs> but uh, the Mets decided to take it in a different direction. Mets have been on a really bad losing tear, and I guess they're tired of getting booed. They're tired of any sort of, I guess, disrespect that they get. So they're going to give thumbs down uh, back to the back to the fans, back to the the people um, when they get on base or when they do something good. So. Uh, Charles, just give me your just give me your your raw take, um, and then I'll go ahead and, and follow up. But it, it's definitely an interesting thing that I feel like we've not really seen before. Yeah, I think it's also. I mean, it's just kind of a bad look. I mean, I feel like the fan has the right to boo, and it, the the big leaguer, you know, has to be the bigger person. I feel like they have to go out there and know if you're not going to perform, you're going to get booed, especially when you're playing in the city of New York. Um, I know I, I saw a couple of quotes today from Derek Jeter and also I think from Alex Rodriguez, and they were saying, you know. We got booed timely. I, there, there's actually a time where Derek Jeter got booed. Um, I forget one of the seasons, but I think he was batting below 180 on the season. Mm. And the Yankee fans were booing him, just letting him know, hey, why aren't you going to pick this up? I mean, 
we have such a standard that you're not even getting to you're not even batting 200 i mean what what, what are you doing i mean you're literally acting like you're a minor leaguer um in the new york yankees organization so um i think it's it's just kind of poor i think that you know of course the fan has the right to boo but that's just an average fan i mean that, that's that's just a guy most of them don't know anything um and so I, <laughs> yeah, I, that's a good point and so i, I feel like it's kind of just like you got to be bigger than that i feel like you got to kind of laugh it off and when you start booing your fans then it's like that's the i think that's the worst thing that could happen is your players and your fans are fighting and you're now you're having this like inner organization like conflict and that's just like i, I feel i mean I, I feel like the owner uh is probably just gonna have to come out with some weird statement just being like you know uh, we, I'm we, sure we'll tweet something weird. Yeah, like we know, we know the fans are upset about us, and you know, uh, you know, it's unacceptable for the players. But you know, it just kind of creates just a weird environment, and like, and then you look at ticketing sales probably going down. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a, a weird scenario, and, and that's all Javier Baez, and that just makes me more not want him to come to the angels next year. right well i mean <laughs> i mean the, the, that that's that's only one of a long list of reasons yeah but yeah exactly but yeah exactly. um so yeah i guess my thoughts on the whole thing it, it all kind of stems from the it all kind of stems from this first issue that they're on this big losing tear if yeah. they're just winning games because they, they were leading their division for a majority of the season to start out then they really slipped up the braves got hot the Phillies got uh, kind of hot too, and then all of a sudden the Mets are have a losing record, and it's almost like if the play was better, this wouldn't even be an issue. Yeah. Um. So it's almost like the players that were doing the thumbs down. Um. You know, if if you know, obviously you're upset, you're getting booed, you feel betrayed by the fans or whatever it may be. At the same time, if you guys had just kind of stuck in that race a little bit, um. If you just avoid kind of totally spinning out in the season, there'd be there'd be no issue, no issue at all. At the same time, I also feel like the players should be entitled to do what they want. Um, I don't think it's like some people are making it seem like an end of the world kind of thing that like oh these you know Lindor and Baez are never going to earn the respective Mets fans again blah blah blah. But I mean I I don't I don't I don't, I don't agree with that very much. Like you mentioned that Jeter example is pretty good because. Um, Jeter obviously will always have the respect of Yankees fans. He's probably most Yankees fans' my favorite player ever. Yeah. Um, so obviously Lindor can can win that respect back. Um, and it's all about kind of producing on the field. Um, and Baez, if he ends up sticking around in the Mets, but definitely Lindor, we know he'll be sticking around as a, yeah. <laughs> with that mm-hmm. big contract. Yeah. Their production will uh, catch a stride at some point, and the, the fans will be cheering for them. Yeah. And Lindor will be cheering for the fans. So yeah, and I think um, of course they're just they're also upset about the whole Lindor thing right now. I know the contract hasn't started yet, but I think they're a little bit just annoyed that they have committed this much money. Um, and you know, I think ten years of Lindor, and it's not even starting off good. Not saying Lindor can't bounce back. I think he can definitely bounce back. Um, but you know, I, I just think with the whole thing, the Mets they were so gung ho on winning this year. Um, and to put it into perspective, Alex, uh, two days ago on August 28th, they were they only had 61 wins on the season. They were below 500. You go back to July 28th, they were leading the NL East by, I think, four or five games, and they had 54 wins. In Jeez. one month, they only had seven wins, pretty much. Right, and, and they were a team who, at that point, in that July point, we thought, okay, um, they could make a run at NLCS yeah. here if Degrom comes back healthy. Degrom has not come back healthy. There's been other injuries. I think Carrasco. Yep. Um, just overall, and the, and the hitting's been bad for the whole month. So yeah, and even put into a different perspective, 
Uh, they're only three games up on the Colorado Rockies. I've heard that, yeah. And so right now the Rockies are playing exceptionally good baseball. Of course, not playing for anything, really, but just playing good baseball. And the Mets could have a worse record this season than the Colorado Rockies, which I would just be very surprised for, uh, you know, a lot of Vegas betters that went there before the season and kind of put a lot of money on the Mets. Because I think we all thought the Mets were going to be a very good team this year with all the pitching and all the, you know, players they got. Um, It's not looking good for the New York Mets right now, but... uh, yeah, we'll see what happens when the next season comes around because I know um, you know Lindor will be starting that contract and hopefully Degrom is all good and healthy. Um, hopefully they can get kind of something going because you know you'd hate to see kind of all that talent just squandered to nothing. And so I, I think I think me and you both agree Degrom is one of our favorite pitchers and yeah. we'd hate to just see him waste away over waste yeah. waste away you know all that stuff. And so yeah, it'd yeah. be fun to see the Mets make a, make a push in the off season if they can make some tweaks. I think that they will. I don't have any reason to believe that with the new ownership that they're going to, you know, punt or be content, even though, you know, the Braves will be getting Acuna back next season, of course. The Braves are always going to have this question mark now. Um, Obviously, they're getting hot right now, but I think this whole first half of the season that they had where they were a losing team for the first half kind of showed us that they're, like, not this invincible power in Mm -hmm. the division, Um, especially if they end up losing Freeman in the offseason. They, you know... Well, he'll be a free agent, and he's aging as it is, even if they did keep him, he, he's getting older. So um, I guess we'll see if, you know, the if the Braves next year can't have the same great year from Austin Riley, the same great year from Swanson and Albies and, and Freeman and the whole gang. Um, you know, the, the, the Mets feel like they're right there, even though they really spun out here. They just need to have a healthy DeGrom and maybe one more piece, and then they, they could have been right there. But Definitely. this season has not gone the way they wanted at all. But Travis, I think uh, now's a good time to get into our sort of meat of the episode. We're going to be going over our current all MLB teams uh, at, through August, essentially. So we'll start off going through our position players, then our pitchers, uh, our awards, uh, a Mister a Mister August, if you will, and then uh, sort of wrap things up with uh, I guess our thoughts on where everyone is at in the baseball season right now. So, Travis, as always, we will start with catcher. Would you like to start us off? The number number two position, yeah, not number one for pitcher, but uh, right. yeah, I'll start us off. Um, you know, the past couple of times we've been pretty consistent, Alex. Um, things have we, pretty we, much we have we yeah <laughs> we we have been consistent in our both of our picks. So we you know we've agreed a lot of things, but um, starting off with the number one thing, my pick has changed. And I know you're looking very upset right now. Don't do it. But I went to, well, you probably think the dark side. I went to the light side. Um, for me, the best catcher in light right now, all leading the all MLB team for me, is a guy by the name of Salvador Perez. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, uh, should I give my kind of my, my reason yeah. why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So basically, you know, Salvador actually, Perez. Actually, sorry, real quick. I'll just say that I have Buster Posey. As my guy. Captain so, Buster, okay. And so now the the listeners know where we stand. Mm-hmm. Um, and go ahead and go ahead and try to sell me on, on Perez. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of funny because I think he kind of meets both criteria. He meets the stats that I look at and I like, but he also meets the stats that you look at and you like, of course, as well. But I'll start with just the, uh, you know, basic old, uh, you know, war that we like to go off of. So looking at war for the 2021 season, Buster Posey at a 2.9 and Salvador Perez at a 4.4, also being named AL Player of the Week this week, having a really hot August. So starting off with War Perez is um, yeah definitely leading Perez or Posey by a long shot. 
Um, but the, of course, one reason why is the games played. Right now, Posey only has about 85 games played, while Salvador has 127. So honestly, on a roll for you know possibly 150 games caught this season, I cannot. I mean, I really can't imagine catching 150 games. I feel like that was kind of a number that you wouldn't see more for most catchers because um, I feel like a lot of teams now kind of roll with a dual catcher role. Uh, but Salvador is doing it all right now. He's catching um, almost every single game for the Kansas City Royals. Of course, a, a losing team, not really much of a bright spot for uh, baseball right now. But games caught, That I mean, I think that's really impressive what he's doing. Of course, when you look at some of the counting stats and the you know a lot a lot of games played, um, you're looking at almost 45 to almost 50 games, you know more games than Posey right now. Um, of course, he has more runs than Posey right now, more hits than Posey right now, and of course more doubles and the home runs is the big thing I want to highlight. 38 home runs on the season right now. He's actually second behind Otani. Um, slowly approaching though, he has had kind of a just a resurgence in August and his bat has gotten flaming hot um, with that. So uh, totally, I mean, completely leading Posey at home runs, only 16 home runs for Posey. And then you look at RBIs too, 94 RBIs for Salvador to 41 RBIs for Posey. Um, and you know, the batting average is one of the course, the big things and the, and the percentage numbers when you look at on base and slugging that of course goes to Posey. He's kind of like the difference when it comes to Yadier and, and Joe Maurer, you're going to have some of the advanced stats favoring Posey, but when you look at also batting average, Posey last I checked was batting 313. Um, good number for the season, but uh, Buster, po- or, I'm sorry, uh, Salvador Perez right now is batting a 277. So he's kind of slowly getting back up there in um, batting average could be about a 285 hitter this year. Um, but Alex, I just think that with, of course, all these games played and having just kind of a resurgence power wise, um, I had to recognize Salvador Perez. Um, and so I had to give it to him. Um, I want to hear what you're going to think now, of course, of course, I want to go back to the games played that will, of course, I think it's going to help Posey smaller sample size percentage stats might favor him a little bit, but I just think with the way that Perez is playing right now, um, He's gotten my respect. So uh, it'll be fun to hear what you got to say. So, yeah, um, I think, yeah, the best point that I think you made was the games played is a huge difference. Um, You know, as a catcher, it is especially impressive to be playing almost every game or, you know, you know, maybe take one game off a week at most. That That's super impressive and it helps your team a lot. Because, Travis, we know as Angels fans uh, when you don't like your backup catcher, it can really, it can really, hurt, it, it can, it can really hurt uh, the team. Uh, if if the backup catcher's not doing their job, you know, obviously you have a guy like Perez. It can really hurt the team, and it can really hurt my mental well being as a fan, just my mental right? health. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so hats off to Perez for being such a great um, guy in terms of durability, in terms of um, you know just sticking in there day in day out. Uh, it looks like I see 530 PAs in the year. That's better than like tons of MVP candidates that mm-hmm. we're going to talk about mm-hmm. later on. <laughs> tons of MVP candidates have had more injury issues than than Perez clearly, and Perez is a catcher. So hats off to him. My my main gripe with Perez is going to kind of start and end. There's a lot. There's, there's a few things that go into it, but one of the major issues is this 315 on base percentage. Um, Posey's up at a 406. So we're talking mm-hmm. about. Pretty much nine percent. Posey gets on base nine percent more, which is just like that seems like a very huge difference in my mind. Like uh, that's a lot of the time. Uh, 
and that's not only walking. Obviously, walking is a big part. Posey's been great discipline-wise this year. Posey's walking in 13% of his at-bats. Um, but it's also the average as well. So if you are a big average, if you're a big fan of the batting average stat, 312 for Posey right now compared to uh, 277 for Salvador Perez. So there's a big gap in the average. There's a big gap in the on-base. The slugging is at a 544 for Perez. For Posey, it's at 520. So just off by about 20 points. Um, that's the smallest gap of, of, of compared to the other two. Um, WRC Plus um, measures you know how good your bat is compared to the rest of the league. 151 for Posey. So about 50% above average for a bat. That's almost like up there with some of the guys we're talking about for MVP. A lot of the MVP guys are at 160, 170 at highest. Posey's at 151. That's a great number for him. Perez is down at 128. Um, I think a big reason for that, that difference... Posey does play in a very, very pitcher-friendly park. So seeing him put up these kind of on-base and slugging numbers in Oracle is definitely really impressive. So that's why I really like how Posey's been at the plate this year, especially um, just with that park in mind. And then you brought up the war stats on Baseball Reference. And I I wish I wish I knew a little bit more about what the differences were between catcher war in terms of Fangraphs and Baseball Reference. But on Fangraphs war, it's interesting Um so base reference, you mentioned that Perez was up in the four something and uh, and uh, Posey was down in the two something for war. It's actually completely just flipped in uh, Fangraphs for some reason. Uh, Buster Posey uh, for Fangraphs war is up at 4.1 and Salvador Perez is down at 2.6. So I think a big reason for that is I know Fangraphs does track framing data and I know that uh, Perez is at the very bottom of all catchers in baseball in terms of framing, which is a stat that... I think we both have really noticed the difference between uh, a guy like Kurt Suzuki, a guy like Max Stassi in terms of Angels catchers. We notice yeah. we notice how much framing can impact any at bat, any game uh, for that matter. So uh, I I understand the Perez pick because of the home runs. The home runs are crazy. If you told anyone coming into the season that the two leaders in home runs, not in the AL, but in all of baseball. Are going to be a pitcher and a catcher and we're going to be leaving august through almost every you know only one month to go essentially and the leaders in hormones are a pitcher and a catcher in otani and salvador perez it's true who saw that coming no one no one saw that coming that's such an odd i guess um kind of state of the league that we're in right now and a part of that is health for sure because some of the other sluggers have injuries like tatis um of course like guerrero has also kind of slumped here but um Travis, uh, I guess any any response to my thoughts? Uh, I think I think there's just a bit of a difference of of opinion here. Uh, last thing I'll highlight right real quick. I mentioned Posey's uh, walk percentage at thirteen point three. I didn't mention Perez's. His is down at a three point eight percent. So less than four percent of Perez's at bats he walks. Um, he strikes out also twenty five percent of the time compared to Posey at I believe nineteen uh, percent. So Perez is striking out a quarter of his at bats. He's walking less than 4%. But if you are sold on the power, then I can't argue with that because he does have a surprising amount of power at this point in the season, at this age that he's at, at this number of, you know, he's only only 30, age 31 season, but at this number of miles he's had at the catcher position, being a kind of an Ironman back there, it is impressive to see that kind of power. So 
Um, that, that's where I'm at, I guess. Yeah, and just to cover him real quickly, I, I think that's that's one thing, of course, I did look at was the games played, and I was just blown away by it. I mean, right now we're not even in September, and he's almost at 130 games caught. You know, thinking about the next 20 games or so left in the season, um, yeah, I mean, he literally might be at 150 games this year. Um, not, I mean, in today's game, and I feel like with today, with you know, injuries always sidelining a lot of people. That's not very easy to do, even if you're a center fielder, even if you're a DH, um, and he's doing it. And so I really like that Ironman status of him. Um, I'm also looking at kind of history and, you know, catchers and home runs in history. Mike Piazza had two 40 home run seasons, never had 41 or more home runs in a season. So something that Salvador could do is have uh, 41 uh, plus home runs in a season. Could catch uh, Johnny Bench's career uh, high in a season for home runs, which is 45. And so I'm kind of, I was trying to looking kind of at the, at the history of catchers and home runs. Um, not many guys have, you know, entered into that 40 home run territory and Salvador is having a season like that. Um, I know the percentage stats were going to hurt him. And you know what, Alex, I, for him, he's a guy where going into a season, I would not really, I would not want the guy to walk a lot because I don't think that guy is going to be very productive in running the bases. You know, sure. even a even a gapper in uh, Kansas City that might not score him, and we know how deep those gaps are in Kansas City. He's such a slow base runner. Where I think certain guys will get a pass, and they should get a pass when it comes to getting on base and walking, because I feel like having Salvador Perez at first base is you're only going to get him in really if you hit, uh, you know, kind of a, a almost perfectly hit ball into the gap or over the right fielder's head. Um, or a home run. And then when you're at second base, I think even a, a ground ball to the outfielder won't score Salvador Perez because he's so slow. Um, of course, I'm not going to really just bag that on him. He's not, of course, the most complete catcher in the game's history. Um, the speed has been very, you know, it's 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 not good for Salvador Perez. But like you said, I think the power is something that I am looking at and I am watching. Alex, I might go on a limb right here and might say something kind of crazy you might be thinking but i think salvador perez right now could possibly be even a top five mvp yeah i i understand why you why you'd say that why you'd think that and mostly it's gonna come out of the home runs of course um but i honestly beyond the home runs i just don't see what so i mean power is one thing but for your catcher i think posey just does a lot more obviously the the durability is a big factor too but um I guess my response to the whole like walking and then space speed kind of thing, um, I guess you kind of view it as you don't really want him to walk as much because he's not gonna be good in the base pass. Well, I'll sp- I'll spin that on you. The catcher I picked is better on the base paths, and he you know Posey's not Posey's not a speed demon by any means, not at all. but he's definitely better than Salvador Perez on the bases. Mm-hmm. And so a gap at Oracle will score him on the walk probably um, almost almost certainly. So uh, I guess my thought is that my catcher. A walk does really help him, um, and it helps his team a lot. And he walks a crazy amount, and he has an on base above four hundred. Um, in the same vein, Travis Posey could end up being a top five National League MVP kind of vote getter. I think the games played could keep him a little bit lower in the list, maybe top ten, maybe top fifteen. But um, I do think that uh, the percentage based numbers that Posey's putting up is super impressive, um, and I think that with Perez in mind, these games played is super impressive. But you're playing so you have so many at bats for your team, so many plate appearances, and your on base is only like it's like below three ten. It just kind of shows that how often you are just getting out in all of your at bats. But um, 
I, I He's got the Javier Baez syndrome, so right, and 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 that's someone who we love to bag on for just kind of <laughs> being a being a power or bust kind of plate approach. But I will say with Javier Baez, the speed is good, so the on base should be good too. Right, and 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 I guess so. It, it just I guess my my personal philosophy on the matter is that I want all my players to have that discipline, um, to have that higher on base. I know that Salvador Perez is obviously a great hitter because you can't hit 40 home runs and be a terrible hitter. That just doesn't make any sense. So um, I guess I just feel like he would benefit a lot more from being more disciplined. Maybe you have five less home runs or 10 less home runs because you're taking some more pitches. But I think the on base being higher, the slugging uh, would probably stay the same um, because you're kind of waiting for your pitch more. I think if that was his approach instead, you'd see better numbers on that WRC+. plus. You'd see uh, probably a better war overall in general. But at the end of the day, um, I think your mind's made up and my mind's made up about who we like so far. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think we had a good back and forth there. Yeah, so yeah. Um, A little skip and Shannon. Uh, yeah. you know, n- not, not as angrily as those <laughs> my two. My turn. But uh, no, I, I like that too. I, and you're right. I think that it finally came down to, you know, are you going to look at, you know, those advanced stats with Posey because he controls kind of that stuff? Or are you going to look at, you know, the home runs with uh, Salvador? Because, I mean, you got to say what he's doing is pretty insane and special. 38 home runs. I mean, we all thought it was going to be Otani and Guerrero and then a Tatis coming back with, you know, the home run race. And now you're looking at Salvador. It'd be really crazy to even think that a catcher could lead the MLB in home runs this year if something happens to Otani. No, um, I, I... get You know, hand lingering hand injury. I know he got hit in the hand a couple of days ago. Um, should be good to go, but you know things like that could possibly halt Otani just kind of slowing down, um, and right. Salvador taking the home run title, which I think would just be kind of a mind blowing thing if you said a catcher will lead the MLB in home runs this year. Right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. I, I can't deny that what he's doing as a catcher in terms of the power side of the game is special. I think it was four, maybe five, but I think it was four straight games with the homer just, just this last yeah, week. Yeah, against the um, uh, Mariners, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, hats off to him for that. Uh, I don't want to act like I'm bashing him just completely, but um, I think there's a lot of parts of his game that are incomplete in comparison to Posey. But at the same time, Posey has not played the same number of games. So um, there's there's sides of both arguments. Yeah, um, yeah. Travis... That's- what, what were you going to say? I was like, I think we can move on to the next position where I think we should... I had we, a, we probably won't talk about too much. I, I, had the same, I had the same exact thought. So your first baseman right now, all MLB, I wonder if it's changed or not. It has not changed. Okay. It is still Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I will say, Travis, I assume you're in agreement. It, I, yeah, I'm in agreement, yeah. So um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was pretty much the whole season consensus top two MVP vote-getter. Um, that's not the case anymore. He has slipped in a, in a, in a, in a bit of a, not a super surprising way because we all knew that hot start was probably not going to be just, he's not going to be a 1.1 OPS guy for the rest of his life, obviously, but, um, it has slipped below a thousand now. And so, um, now I'm, my thoughts on, I guess the Vladimir Guerrero MVP kind of conversation is that I think those guys nipping at his heels right now. Um, I don't think I have Perez over him just because um, the other aspects no. of, of Guerrero's game. But I'm just saying there's other guys in the American League that are um, almost becoming as impressive. And then even looking at guys in the National League who play the same position, I think there's definitely a chance that a guy like Max Muncy could surpass him. By Travis, it'd be funny if every single every single month 
at the end of the month. I was thinking the, thing. we, I was thinking the same thing. We yeah. said Vlad Guerrero is the first baseman of the MLB every month. And it'd be funny if the last month someone just barely caught on like a the Max Muncy. The marathon gets to some people. A Max Muncy <laughs> or, a, or a Matt Olsen just kind of gets him at the last second. You're right. Has a crazy big uh, right. September. And it's possible now because Guerrero has slipped a bit. And other guys are... Um, He's sort of fallen back to the pack, I should say. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Muncie and Olsen have been pacing right behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr. the whole season. Um, it would not be a surprise. I was actually looking this time around at Muncie because Muncie has, I don't think he's made any of our lists. And he's been so good no, this year. No, Travis, every single time I type out my my list and my, er, <laughs> my, my my team in my notes app, I write at the bottom snubs and I just put a couple names and Max Muncie has been in that always. category every time. Always, always. In the beginning of the season, it was always, you know, Walsh. Walsh was doing great in the first couple months. Um, and Vladimir Guerrero is just kind of a huge bat to start the season off. So um, Muncie is a huge snub who is a guy that deserves this kind of stuff. But you know what? Who knows? Maybe Vladimir Guerrero Joe just kind of just sinks a little bit and yeah. Muncie rises a little bit um, in that late, you know, last month playoff push. But um, we'll move on to the uh, the second baseman uh, all MLB position. Um I'm curious to see if yours has changed or if you have anyone else new on that list. So, yeah, I, I've flipped back and forth between a couple different guys um, throughout the times that we've done this. Um, currently, I think it's Semyon, and I think it's I think it's very solidly Semyon. Um, Marcus Semyon's had a very impressive year. Uh, I, I, I guess... I guess almost everyone else that I've ever thought about putting over Semyon has just kind of dipped a bit, whereas Semyon has been this consistent guy who puts up tons of plate appearances, and he's just been such a solid bat for that Blue Jays team. Um, honestly, almost in contention with Guerrero Jr. for like their MVP of the season because mm-hmm. they, they've, had a, they've had a very good year. It's not They probably wanted to be a wildcard team, and they're looking like they probably won't get there. Um, still have a month to go, but... Um, I, it's just I, I just feel like what Simeon has done has just been completely unexpected. I, I believe he leads baseball players um, in the MLB in position player uh, wins above replacement for, yeah. base, for baseball, yeah. baseball reference. So that is just in and of itself a huge feat that I don't think anyone really saw coming from him. We just kind of saw him, oh, he's going to the Blue Jays. He's going to be playing second base, and he's going to be doing what exactly for them? Like, we know he's a good player, but... So they really need another infielder. They already have a bunch of guys, but it has turned out to be completely the other way where he's just been a super impactful uh, player. And uh, I think it'd be very hard to make an argument for anyone else. So I- I'm, I'm on Marcus Samian. Uh, do you agree? Completely agree on that. And one, in- one interesting kind of, you know, fact looking at the last couple of seasons, last two full, you know, full MLB seasons, Marcus Simeon has been a top three war guy in all of baseball. So, I mean, just kind of an underrated guy that we're not seeing, uh, you know, I feel like we're just, you know, we're not talking about him a lot and he is doing, you know, great things, uh, right now. Um, like you said, leading, uh, MLB in war at 5.9. Of course, Otani is the, you know, full war leader when you look at, you know, pitching and the hitting side. But when you look at just position players, Marcus Simeon is, um, one of the top guys. So, uh, very impressive with Marcus Simeon this season, and, and he'll be my second baseman right now. I don't know too many guys who can come close to claiming that from him. But, uh, Alex, let's move on to the third base uh, position. Who do you got for that? Okay, so third base is actually another example, a different example, where I changed my mind from previous months. So, um, once again, we've had different guys. I've had different guys in this spot throughout the year. Um, and this year... Or sorry, this month features a completely new player I've never had on my list. 
that's Jose Ramirez. Okay. So Jose Ramirez is who I have as my all MLB third baseman as of right now. Um, the guy who I had last month was Devers, and Devers is still trending positively. He's still going to be a top 15 most likely like MVP vote-getter in the American League. I just think that Jose Ramirez has once again proven to us, like almost time and time again, like year in, year out, he almost always gets slept on as like maybe not like a superstar player. And he ends up getting like top five in MVP votes. Like I, I want to say it's been like three of the last four seasons. And it's just always super impressive. So um, essentially, according to uh, according to fan graphs here, um, I believe Devers only leads uh, Jose Ramirez by WRC Plus by one point. But the war favors Ramirez because I think the defensive side of things, as well as the base running, Travis, I think Jose Ramirez is one of the most underrated base runners in baseball. His speed is not, you know, Otani. It's not Tatis. It's not Trey Turner. But his instincts running the bases is so impressive. He, his stealing, stolen bases to cut stealing is always just kind of stands out as something, um, just something that you wouldn't expect from a guy like him. He's kind of shorter, kind of a little bit stocky, and but he's just quick on his feet and he's got great instincts. Um, and I think all that translates to. Uh, my third, my, I guess, all MLB third baseman. Um, I'll, I'll dive more into it, but I want to hear who you got first. Yeah, and so I actually stuck around and kept Devers on my list. But, I'm, you know, it's funny. I'm looking at both these players, and I was debating on these two heavily. Um, Jose Ramirez, you're right, has really kind of surged as a great third baseman right now. I mean, even the last season, um, we saw him have kind of a crazy, what was it, September? Or the last, like, 30 to 40 games of the season, Jose Ramirez was on a surge and I think everyone's thinking, okay, the Indians need to trade this guy right now. Um, and it's funny, you look at his numbers, and him endeavors are like completely neck and neck when it comes to the numbers. Um, Jose Ramirez has 31 home runs, Devers has 32 home runs. Uh, when you look at on base percentage, Devers is at a 352, Ramirez is at a 349. When you look at slugging, Ramirez is at a 555. And Devers is at a 556. Right there. So yeah. literally, it's like Devers right now has uh, four points higher on OPS. And then OPS plus uh, Ramirez is two points higher. So it's just kind of interesting that both those guys are, when you look at position, those percentage numbers, they're so neck and neck. Devers, of course, having almost about 20 points higher batting average. And he does, of course, have more RBIs um, than Ramirez right now. Um, but it is I'm so. Gonna- Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it is so close with uh, both those guys right now. Uh, it, it's kind of insane to see these numbers, how close they are. Um, you know, I think that these this position in next month's all MLB kind of finishing touch for the season, it will be interesting to see the, the, the next, you know, month um, finish up because both these guys are, I think right now you're right, neck and neck with this I'm going to be third base and, you know, seeing a lot of good third basemen um, from previous years, you know, either injuries or just kind of having a uh, down season. Uh, you see two of these guys, you know, just kind of surging and uh, it'll be interesting to see next month, you know, who kind of rises um, above with these two, these two guys, at this position. hundred percent. What I do want to add on this conversation between Ramirez versus Devers. Um, I've had Devers on multiple of my all MLB teams we've done this year. So I know how good he is. But Ramirez, in terms of war, edges him out in both base reference war and Fangraph's war. And Fangraph's war, actually, Jose Ramirez is fourth in all of baseball for position players. For position players, he's at um, a 5.0, only behind Trey Turner, Vlad Guerrero Jr., and Marcus Semien. So 
Um, that's a super impressive. A 138 WRC plus. I think that's behind Devers at a 139. So in terms of the bat, it's almost identical. But uh, the defense does favor Ramirez um, on, on Fangraphs. And then the base running, obviously, your favorite Ramirez. He steals bags at, at a great rate. And he, he 19 steals for him this year so far. And uh, that goes hand-in-hand uh, hand with the base running as well. The RBIs that you pointed out, um, it is a substantial gap. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, Devers is batting oftentimes in the 5 or 4 spot for that that team over in Boston who's had a, a great offense all year. Um, so I think the fact that he's batting behind a guy like J.D. Martinez sometimes or batting behind Xander Bogarts, he has plenty of opportunities to drive those guys in. We know Devers hits all the doubles in the world, so um, he gets those guys in all the time. And uh, the Red Sox have been good, so that's why those RBI numbers are, are great for Devers. Um, so And Ramirez, obviously, does not have the same situation, Travis. He typically has Ahmed Rosario or, or someone else <laughs> batting in front of him, which is still, uh, you know, not too bad. But in comparison to Devers, um, I think R- Ramirez usually has to make more uh, happen by himself. And, uh, yeah, I, I really like what Ramirez has done this year. It seems like every year we kind of sleep on him a bit, and he continues to impress. Um, he is a superstar in the game of baseball, and I feel like, feel like we don't talk about him in that light uh, quite enough. Um, so... I think that kind of has to third base. Any, yeah. any other thoughts? You're good? Yeah, all good on that. I think those guys will be neck and neck. I'm interested to in seeing at the end of September where we kind of go. Hopefully, they'll make it easier for us to kind of pick one or the other. But, um, but we don't mind arguing a bit. Okay. We don't mind arguing a little bit, but they've really made it so close where yeah. everything that we care about and that, you know, some things that you care about and some things that I care about, they're almost neck and neck. It's all and close, it, yeah. And it's it, it, unlike Salvador and uh, Posey where they're kind of different ends of the spectrum when you look at what you like. Uh, Devers and Ramirez are right there with one one another. So uh, end of September will be interesting to see who kind of jumps out and takes that spot Mm -hmm. for uh, all third basemen for this year. Uh, Yeah, so I think now we will switch over to shortstop. Shortstop, yep. And there's been a couple different guys on our radar here, but but there's been a guy who's been super, super, uh, I guess, at the top for a while. But I'll I'll let you go ahead and tell us uh, who you have for... Oh, I'm a shortstop right now. So this was interesting because I was leaning, uh, as we both know, elephant in the room, of course, Fernando Tatis Jr. He is the best shortstop in the game right now. Had a big injury um, end of July. I think it was July 30th. And then was put on the IL for about two weeks, 15 days or so, and then made a return and is now playing at the right field position. So he has been playing right field for the last two to three weeks almost. And so shortstop is not really looking like his position for the rest of the season. So it was kind of interesting for me because I was wondering, you know, do I move on to someone else? There's other names out there. Um, And one guy I looked at was Trey Turner. And Trey Turner uh, was a big name because ever since he's joined the Dodgers, he's been a great spark, has been just having great numbers with the Dodgers. Um, But I looked and Trey Turner has been playing majority of his games at second base. Yep. And so he also has left the shortstop position. So... With this, I actually was remaining with Tatis Jr. I said, you know what? Your numbers are so good. They're so much better than anyone else's. Right now, you're probably the MVP favorite after coming back. Um, I'm going to keep you at shortstop. Uh, But I will say next month, I'll have to do some really deep digging to think if I want to keep him as my shortstop. If he's proven to me that he is, uh, you know, if he can take two months off and still be the best shortstop or if someone else has kind of a good push 
um, and you know finish the season strong. Someone like a Bogarts could definitely do something like that, okay. or even Correa. Correa, yeah. And so um, I kept Tatis Jr. just for how good and how kind of how far ahead of the pack he is. Um, I had to keep Tatis there, so. Um, I don't know if I'm going to keep him there when the season ends, but I think right now through August, Tatis Jr. is still my all MLB shortstop. Good. So uh, we actually agree here. Um, I also have Randall Tatis Jr. as my all MLB shortstop right now. The other guy I was looking at, just like you were, is Trey Turner. Um, Trey Turner actually is a better Fangraphs war, and I think, uh, double-checking here, he does have a... He does actually. He's actually below him. Okay, so it's actually reversed. So Tatis is better in Baseball Reference WAR, uh, Turner better Fangraphs WAR, and the one thing at Tatis that stands out to me is even though he's missed games, he leads all of baseball position players in uh, offensive WAR. So this offensive WAR leaderboard, he's up at six point one, and the next best is Mullins at five point two. It's a big gap there. So just in terms of how good of a batter you are, uh, Tatis is the best in baseball um, by this metric uh, by quite a bit. So. Um, the fact that he's been doing that as a shortstop is super impressive, but there has been a bit of a slip in his numbers. He is now below uh, a thousand, uh, OPS. He's at uh, 0.994, which is still good for second in baseball. Um, but what I will say, uh, on that matter is I guess if he were to continue playing outfield and if he were to, uh, continue having a bit of a slip, then, um, it, you, like you said, uh, guys like Correa, Guys like Bogarts are going to be right there ready to take it. Even if something were ha- happened to Seager or if they started playing Trey Turner back at shortstop again in, in, in L.A., then he'd be, I think he'd immediately jump uh, Tatis if he just started playing the position again because uh, Trey Turner has been super special, um, not only in the whole season, but especially with the Dodgers so far. Um, what he does in the base pass is always super impressive. Uh, that famous slide we saw a bunch of memes of Travis that was just well, that was so smooth. All, all, all I, I really wish Twitter. I could do something like that. That was that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, we, we we don't move that gracefully, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that to Turner. But yeah, on, on the base pass, he's super special, and with the bat, he he gets base hits like like no other. Uh, currently leads baseball in batting average. Uh, Trey Turner does so. Um, yeah, uh, if he were playing shortstop, I would probably have gone Trey Turner. But he has been playing second base for Dodgers most of the time. So. Uh, yeah, uh, we're in agreement there, but we both agree that there are guys uh, putting pressure on Tatis, especially because that injury, especially because that positional change. So uh, I think we can go on out- outfield now, Travis. Yeah. So yeah. as always, we'll kind of give our three outfielders and then uh, we'll discuss. So do you want to go first on our three outfielders? Yeah, why not? Uh, so three outfielders for uh, all MLB. Again, they've They've changed all throughout the season. I really don't know what I I can't even remember what I had last se- last time we went you know went reviewed all this stuff. It's but gotten messy here. It has. It has. I mean, with with not having Trout in, with not having Betts in, or Bellinger or Yelich, there's so many big names that you're just you're missing. And I feel like it's like who I got to I got to scram for just some of these other guys that you know are having good seasons, but you know you're not used to seeing these kind of guys. They're almost like second tier level outfielders. But for me. The three outfielders right now that crack my all MLB list are Juan Soto, Cedric Mullins, and Bryce Harper. So those are my three, Alex. Um, I'm looking to hear, you know, who you have. We'll probably have, you know, one or two that are the same, maybe one that's different, but interested to see who you got. We have the same. That same is, three. That is very I don't know if that's ever happened, has I think it? That could be a first. I have to go back and check. I think but, I um, think uh maybe you jumped off the uh, Cincinnati Reds boys uh well, little train yeah i mean castellanos has kept the average up he's second in average for for um 
for the Major League Baseball, but there are just other guys who have gotten hot. Um, Juan Soto is someone who, at the first half of the year, we weren't even really thinking about him no, in this con- conversation. He started pretty slow. Right now, Travis, Juan Soto leads baseball in on-base percentage I looked by that. That was, a lot. That's, that's it, by it's a stupid. Lot. It's, it's, he's at it's a, stupid. He's at a point four four one on base that leads by, uh, what, what is it, 20, quick math. What is this? Um, he leads by 34 points over Harper, I think. Wow. I think I counted that wrong. Wow. I did, I did count it wrong. 23 points. <laughs> I, I, I'm confused, folks. But um, essentially, Soto up at four four one. Harper's next best at 417. And there's only one other player in Guerrero uh, Jr. who's above 400. So only three players above 400. Soto's way up at 441. That's almost like MVP level stuff. You know what's funny is that's just an that's almost an average year for Trout. Right. Yeah. That, it's that's kind of just a average year. You just, know. Just 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 a reminder, like we always like to do about how good Trout is. But um, <laughs> unfortunately, our guy is not in these conversations because of his injury, which we hope he gets back from very soon but uh soto's uh slugging is actually not what it usually is i guess um it's kind of keeping him out of the top five for ops he's done at sixth place below winker actually but yeah soto this year has taken a big stride defensively playing right field uh, for the washington nationals he actually does have uh, a very above average uh out above average yes yeah. um so keeping that in mind uh he had to be a pick for my top three um, Mullins has been on our list multiple times, Travis. I guess talk us through why you included him. Yeah, I think, you know, he's just been kind of good throughout the whole entire year. I think he still leads the, uh, I think he still leads baseball in hits. And so RV's right there. He's at the top. I think he was actually up there with David Fletcher for most AL, AL hits. Right right, um, right now, just, just to get that number, one, right. he's second behind uh, Trey Turner. Okay. And Fletcher's, okay. Fletcher's third. Okay. So. Okay. But right he's, now he's leading right the AL in hits at 150. But, you know, I kind of look at him and just kind of being just that all-around, you know, good center fielder, has great speed, um, good defense, and then, of course, having a good batting average um, and also some sneaky slugging percentage uh, pop. I mean, right now he has more home runs than Soto and has a better slugging percentage than Soto, which is kind of insane that Cedric Mullins, a guy who leads the AL in hits, also is providing the power. Honestly, will have a 30 doubles and possibly a 30 home run season this year, so Really impressive with with um, with Cedric Mullins. Also on amazing, the radar too. Sorry, go on. I was gonna say a 30-30 season right now with twenty four stolen bases and twenty four home runs. So uh, yeah, I mean Mullins is just kind of being just a sneaky guy under the radar. Um, almost a one fifty OPS plus right now, sitting at one forty four. Um, and then also the WAR. The WAR is at a five right now in Baseball Reference. So. Um, I just I I feel like I've liked him for the past couple of months, and I think he's really stood out from other AL outfielders and as an MLB outfielder he's really putting together a really good season it's just a shame he's playing for the Baltimore Orioles who uh you know this past week just kind of broke that uh well it would it was a 20 game losing streak but uh I guess he's really the only bright spot in that organization as of right now that's playing on the major league roster um I think that's why I would go see a Orioles game is to watch at least Cedric Mullins play um having a really cool and you know good season right now yeah, he's definitely having a breakout year. It's been it's been cool to watch. We actually just played Baltimore uh, last last week. Don't even start with it. It was pretty sad. Uh, Pain. Uh, the losing streak came to an end. They got a W against the Angels. Two Ws, in fact. But <laughs> but, but Mullins, Mullins did actually do some damage that series. So it was cool to see him uh, You know, continue his breakout year. Uh, he's a fun player. Um, 
and Bryce Harper has really come on the second half of the year in a huge way. Um, right now, if Tatis was not in, of course, I think Bryce Harper. It'd be honestly Harper Soto possibly for the MVP. Right. Um, the way that I, I saw Soto's on base kind of just surge right now, but the way that Bryce Harper has been playing since the All Star break, um, he is right now probably battling Tatis for that MVP. But I think Tatis might have an edge over him. But uh, yeah, he, so, he was an easy pick to get for the outfield. Yeah, he had to be in there for sure. So. Um, that's our three outfielders. We can move on to DH now. Short conversation. Shoyo Otani has been by far the best DH in baseball. I don't really know who would be close. Um, obviously, Otani slipped up a bit. Uh, his start of the season was so hot that you can't keep it up for a full 162. But he's still managing to keep those games played up. Um, there's other guys who have been really good, like Jordan Alvarez has had a good season so far. Um, J.D. Martinez has started hot. He kind of slumped a bit uh, later on. But... Uh, Nelson Cruz also is a great hitter, but I mean, it really has been, um, it's been all Otani this year. So yeah. there's no way to keep him off that spot, right? Trev? Exactly. Exactly. Nothing, nothing you can do about that. He is going to be the LDH MLB, um, pretty easy. For yeah. Him. Running away. So now we can move on to starting pitching Travis. Yeah. Uh, five names for each of us and we can discuss, um, yeah. should I start first? Yeah. You go right ahead. Okay. So, um, Throughout the whole year, Travis, we've had the same issue where there's like a handful of guys, um, seven, eight guys, maybe nine guys sometimes, that all kind of deserve to be in this top five. Um, this year, or sorry, this month, uh, my five is sort of a list of usual suspects. Um, so my, essentially no order, my five uh, all movie starters right now are Corbin Burns, uh, Zach Wheeler, Walker Bueller, uh, Kevin Gosman, and Brandon Woodruff. So five usual suspects, kind of all national leaguers. Um, I feel like the AL guys have slipped a bit, but we can discuss that after uh, you give me your five, and we can go back and forth. Actually, a little bit, a little bit different. So we'll, oh, have, yeah? some, we'll have something to discuss about. Okay, let's um, go. Uh, number one for me, Walker Bueller. Uh, we discussed, I think, last time. Uh, he's for me leading possibly in the NL Cy Young. So Walker Bueller needs to be on that top five. I think it's the first time I've actually had his name on this list. Same for me. Yeah, he's had a great month. And then. On the list as well, two AL guys. I got Lance Lynn and Garrett Cole. Okay. So two guys I put on my list this time. Then rounding it about, I don't know why. I know I know Corbin Burns has been doing really well, but I think Woodruff is right there on him. And I think I for me, he just he has that leader mentality of that staff. So I feel like it's always I can't put Corbin Burns in front of Woodruff. So I put Woodruff ahead of Burns. I know they're right on top of each other when it comes to the ERA and some of those other stats. So um, I went Woodruff on that level. And then rounding out, I have Max Scherzer. Okay. So I went Scherzer ahead of Gosman or Wheeler. Uh, Wheeler actually had a really kind of slip up in the last game yep. against, uh, I don't know if you remember if, if it was uh, the... Who was it? I'm trying to remember as well. I was watching the highlights of the game. But essentially, Joe Girardi left him in. In a ninth inning scenario. Yes. and I think It was the Rays. It was the Rays. Okay. Okay. And Wait. I think, you yeah, right. yeah, it, it was, was. It was. Yeah, and so I think it was. They had like a four-two lead in the ninth, and then the Rays came back and either hit a two or three-run homer. But it, it it was it was three. It went from four four runs to seven runs okay. allowed. Okay, and, and that the the kicker there is that he was over hundred pitches. Okay, and coach left him in. Okay, which, was, which is That's crazy, right. crazy to see. But you know, you look at that, and that is what we were talking about. Last episode, that is the kind of a that's the kind of game where that would really destroy a Cy Young case right there. I mean, literally ERA just shot up. Yep. And you know the clear favorite is Walker Bueller is getting better and better and better, and his team is still doing very very good. That with Wheeler pairing with the Phillies, kind of failing the past couple weeks, 
I don't think it looks really good with the Cy Young voters. Um, and of course, for me, rotation, of course, um, that was kind of a slip up. And for me, I think, of course, you look at the last four to five games, Scherzer has been unbelievable for the Dodgers, um, pitching just tremendously well. And then honestly, I got to give props to Lance Lynn and also Garrett Cole. I think that Garrett Cole has been kind of trending downward a little bit, kind of on that Walker Bueller trend. Um, and also with the surging Yankees right now, um, I gave Cole a little bit of props. I think he's been kind of a huge piece in that uh, hot streak right now. So I got to give Cole props on that. And of course, I wanted to give Lance Lynn props. I think Lance Lynn deserves kind of a spot with that. I think you know, it'd be kind of crazy to win the AL Cy Young and still be on off of our, you know, top five uh, rotations, because we all know the NL is so power, you know, just so powerful when it comes to the uh, rotations and the, and the starting pitching. But um, that's kind of my take on that, Alex. You know, what do you got with your guys? Of course, we had a lot of we had some guys that we definitely agreed on, some guys that we um, went went different ways with. Right. So I can start off with the guys that we are like. Completely, completely in agreement with Bueller has to be in top five. Yep. He is in the, he's definitely like a top two or three guy in the National League Cy Young, mm-hmm. if not the National League Cy Young. Yep. But that's that's a conversation for you know in a in a little bit here. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, so for, for this top five list, Bueller has to be there. We agree. He's just been so good this month. Um, and the Dodgers are also surging. They're playing great. They're making up ground against the Giants uh, in a small way because the Giants have been good too. But um, yeah, Bueller has to be there. Completely agree there. Um. The AL guys, we obviously disagree on. Uh, I'm pulling up some stats right now. So, uh, Zach Wheeler, I guess I'll, I'll take a stand there first. So, Zach Wheeler, uh, he's still on my list. And, yes, his ERA took a slip. Um, that was not a that was not the ideal outing yeah, for him, right. obviously. To give up a, a three-run tank in the ninth inning is not what you want to do if you're trying to be a Cy Young. But if I'm talking top five pitcher in baseball this season, he's still on my list. He is currently number one in Fangraphs war amongst pitchers. Number one, five point nine, tied with Burns, but he has uh, he's got the number one spot. Two point nine in ERA, so two point nine is higher than some of the other guys we're talking about. But it's not like that, you know that that you know slip up we talked about. It's not like it totally destroyed his ERA for the year. Two point nine is still great, and a couple more starts he could be done at two seven still. Um, I don't think that a lot of voters are going to give him the credit that I think he deserves. Uh, they're going to look at his 10-9 win-loss record. They're going to say, oh, he's barely a winning pitcher. They're going to look at his ERA and see a 2-9. They're going to say, oh, well, he's definitely way worse than a guy like uh, Bueller, a guy like Woodruff, whoever else. But I just see that war number, and I know the innings pitched is super high. Travis, the only reason he was in that ninth inning game, he gives up, he gives up a three-run homer in the ninth, and the only reason why that even is a scenario is because they don't trust their own bullpen enough. That's true. Where they have to leave in their workhorse. Like, we have... Even if even if you blow it here, we're already losing. We're losing four to two, and there's men on base. Even if you let these guys score, we trust you because you're almost our only option. We're gonna ride with you because it almost shows like how good he has been. The fact that they even went with him there. When you're over a hundred pitches and you're you're in a scenario to get the loss for the game, but they still left you in the ninth. It's a really crazy kind of scenario. Um, uh, 176 innings pitched, uh, 176.2 actually. I think also leads baseball in strikeouts, um, mm-hmm. which ties in that innings pitch being so high. So I, I, I have lots of great things to say about uh, Zach Wheeler. I have him ab- above both AL guys. Um, he's ahead of both of them in, in, in war for both uh, both Fangraphs war as well as uh, Baseball Reference war. So um, I guess that's why I have Wheeler over those AL guys. Um, another spot where we differ, Travis, um, we both have Woodruff. 
but you have Woodruff on at the expense of Burns. And I know you, you, you go back to this thing. I'm, I'm going to call you out real quick. You go, <laughs> you go back to this thing about how you see Woodruff as like the middle guy of this three-headed monster, right? You see Woodruff as like the ace, and then you see like probably Burns and Peralta on the side. But I guess my stance is I'm just going strictly off what I see in the numbers and not so much of like, I guess, who I feel is like the dog in the bullpen. And mm-hmm. Burns has the better ERA than Woodruff, which is, you know, almost... It's almost a go-to stat for most voters for the, for the award, of course, yep. for like a Cy Young Award. So Burns leads in ERA. He leads in... Oh, he actually... Oh, oh I'm looking at the wrong list. So he leads in ERA. He leads in Fangraph's war. Um, I think Burns has just been better in uh, a long list of categories. He's better in... Uh, he's first overall in baseball in home runs per nine. Um, he's first overall in, ba- in baseball in strikeouts per walk. Like, Burns has just been so, so good. I think he is a consensus, like, top two Cy Young guy right now. We'll get to that conversation in a little bit, like we mentioned. But Burns is second in baseball in ERA. He's second in baseball in ERA+. That's all just behind Bueller, not behind Woodruff. So, um, I guess give me some explanation between, like, the whole uh, Burns-Woodruff thing for you. Because um, I think keeping Burns off top five right now is pretty... I guess I just disagree a lot with that. No, and I... I see your point on that thing. I also look at both, and I, you know, I, I mean, both guys are almost a tenth away from each other on ERA. So I thought they were really neck and neck when it came to, um, you know, the overall ERA. Uh, but you know, I mean, I like you said, I just kind of had that respect for Woodruff just being, um, I guess you'd say, kind of like you say, the top dog in the rotation. He definitely is the the guy. I mean, going into a playoff series, Woodruff will be the guy that starts probably for the Milwaukee Brewers. So I had to include that. Um, in that. So I think that both guys, I mean, are, are insanely good. I think we both can agree that the Milwaukee Brewers are the, you know, best pitching staff, probably team in baseball. But, uh, for me, Woodruff was just a guy that I favored over Burns. No specific reasons. These kind of lists are, um, sometimes that you got to have a little favoritism in some of these lists. I mean, honestly, Burns is hasn't putting up better numbers than Lynn and Cole. I just wanted to include those guys because, I feel like I can't leave out possibly, you know, two AL Cy Young guys that are on that list. Um, no, it, I want to include them in that in, in kind of my decision making. Um, but we'll get into that with the awards later on. But sure, uh, and that's a good point. Um, it does come down to a lot of subjectivity. Like if we were voters, you know, for like the these like kind of awards or these kind of all MLB lists at the end of the season everyone's list is going to be a little bit different. And that's just because we all care about different stuff. I think I'm favorite, favorite, or, you know, I think I'm putting a favorite towards Woodruff because I also have money on him too. So I, 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 <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to say it, Travis, but I knew that was a little bit of a factor, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, yeah, obviously we both have money on Woodruff. Um, but I have, Woodruff, I have money on both Woodruff and So you Burns. really don't. Yeah. So I yeah. have no horse in the race. I'm okay with either one being successful, but yeah, essentially, uh, I think that, um, as people who both have different opinions on, on I guess, what stats we care about the most, it makes sense where our lists are going to be different. Um, and that's 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 uh, that's A-OK. So uh, I guess we can move on to relief pitcher now, Travis. Yep, the our, ninth inning guy. I guess our ninth inning guy. Um, I, do, should, do you want me to start us off or do yeah. you want to go yeah, for go it? Yeah, go ahead, yeah. So a lot of the year, um, I guess it's been, it's been a handful of guys. There's been, you know, Melanson, uh, Kimbrell, Hayter have all been kind of in the running uh, throughout the season. And as of right now, if I had to pick with someone, I would stick with uh, Josh Hader. So okay. I think he's who I had. I think last month I actually flipped over to the Kimbrel train, and now I'm back on the Hader train. Um, Kimbrel has had a great year overall, but 
ever since his trade to the White Sox, his ERA has slipped a bit. So Hader does have that 1.54 ERA, which is about 50 points higher than Kimbrel. Um, that's really the main one of the main reasons why I switched over. Hader also has a nice 2.2 Fangraphs war to Kimbrel's 1.9. They're the two main guys in the race for me. There are some other outlier guys who are interesting to look at, but I'll let you tell me who you have, and then we can discuss. Yeah, same thing. Hader for me, ninth inning guy. Um, ERA says it all. I think he's kind of really separated himself from the pack when it comes to the ERA. Um, and then like I've always said, when you look at innings pitch and strikeouts, he almost is averaging two strikeouts every inning. So just kind of a shutdown guy. He doesn't even let the opposition, the hitters, make contact with the ball, put the ball in play. Um, I really like that in a closer. And so for me, Hader is the main guy. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's funny that Kimbrell was a guy that we were very high on earlier in the season when he was on the Chicago Cubs, got traded to the south side of Chicago. Uh, and I think he's not doing the save situation anymore. I think that's all going to be um, being done by Hendricks. And so Kimbrell, of course, had to kind of change his role a little bit. So uh, for me, Hader is the guy in, you know, the ninth inning that I want. And I think that, you know, of course, me and you agree on that. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we do agree perfectly. Um, I guess I'll just add that um, in case anyone, because we do, I think we both had Kimbrell last month and now we're both on the Hader train. That's right. To, just to kind of make that uh clear as to why Hader does have a better strikeouts per nine than Kimbrel. So more strikeouts per nine, uh, less walks per nine, less home runs allowed per nine. He leaves more men on base. Uh, he has a better ERA. He's a better expected ERA, a better FIP, expected FIP, better war. Almost everything is a slight edge to Hader. So all that across the board, just he makes him the easy pick. Travis, one thing I wanted to bring up um, that's interesting is because I think we both view this the same way. When we talk about our reliever, we always have that one reliever spot, and it's always like our ninth inning guy. Yeah. But if we're just talking about relievers in general, it opens this conversation up to a lot of interesting names that we don't even really mention ever on the pod because they're like these sixth, seventh inning guys, eighth inning guys um, that really deserve more, I guess, more of a look. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want to point out some a few, a few examples of that to the listeners. So there are some guys who have better ERAs and some better numbers than guys like Hater, but they're not the ninth inning, the highest leverage kind of guys. Um, but their teams put them in in big moments still. They're still relievers on, on, on solid teams. So I want to bring up Andrew Kittredge, Travis. He currently has pitched 55 innings, which is more than Hater, which is more than Kimbrel, which is more than a lot of the guys that are like considered the seventh inning guys, like the closer types. He has more. He has 55 innings pitched, which is a pretty high number. His ERA is a .98. At 55 innings pitched, that's, that's super. That's the guy from Tampa Bay, right? He's from Tampa Bay. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's a reliever. Um, that's a super, super strong number. Um, he's been great at limiting walks. Uh, his strikeout numbers per nine are, are not bad either. Um, I just see a .98 ERA from a reliever, and we've never mentioned him. And I think it's just, true. it's just worth pointing out that, like, I guess we are always kind of picking our ninth inning guy, our closer. But if we were just talking about relievers in general a guy like Kittredge deserves to be up there with any other name because he's pitched more innings than our closer guys, and he's a better ERA. Another guy who's kind of like this is Emmanuel Classe. He's kind of flipped back and forth with Karen Chak for the closer role in Cleveland this year. Uh, Classe pumps 102, cutters like it's nobody's business. It's really scary to see. I think in sinkers too, which <laughs> yeah. is just, I, I don't know how you can hit that. Th- th- there's wild stuff going on over there, but um, he has a 1.44 ERA, which is lower than Hader. And more innings pitched at 56 innings pitched. So it's kind of crazy. There's some of these guys who are not the lockdown save ninth inning guys. I just wanted to give them a shout out because 
how can we talk about like our best relievers in baseball and not talk about these guys with you know ERAs better than the best of the best, the all-star type guys. So these guys are not even all-stars, but they, they really deserve to be in this kind of conversation. Um, so I just wanted to highlight them a bit before we switch over to our, I guess, player of the month, right, Travis? That's true. That's true, yeah. So should we kick that off? Uh, who, who, who should who should have the honors? Who should go first? Uh, I think I'll let you go. Uh, okay. You probably think I'm leaning my... I might be leaning one way, so I'll let you go. Okay, so I do... I, I, I'm indeed leaning one way, and I'm leaning towards a guy who... I've been, I guess, rooting for all season because we do have money on him in Vegas. I do have Bryce Harper as my player of the month currently. He has gotten hot at the exact right time. Um, so I have Bryce Harper's uh, August numbers pulled up here, Travis. Uh, this, so this is 26 games played, and this is not including the numbers from today because um, that's still happening, essentially, or it's been happening uh, this afternoon. So uh, numbers coming into today are a 318 batting average, 318. 446 on base on the month and a 761 slugging on the month huge number nine home runs on the month that's good for a 1208 ops um it's been a monstrous month for harper and another reason why i also had him here is because not only are the numbers great the slugging is amazing but besides that um it's also the fact that he is almost carrying the phillies team to kind of still be in the hunt uh he's by far the biggest offensive force and the Phillies are a team that just lost um, Reese Hoskins to injury, season-ending injury. So if the Phillies are going to make a push, it comes down to Bryce Harper and what he can do offensively to support some of their good pitchers uh, with, with some with some bats. So um, I give big ups to Bryce Harper. And actually, Travis, as I was making you know, the finalizations on my list today, I got a notification for fantasy that he hit another home run today. So it's actually 10 on the month uh, so far for him. Uh, which is just super impressive. That slugging is going to go even higher. The average is going to go even higher. So uh, Harper is my guy of the month. Uh, who do you got, Travis? Retweet. Okay. Good. <laughs> no, but I, 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 you know, it's funny because I was going one way and I was going to go possibly towards a Salvador Perez way. Um, I think I got a little bit too lost in kind of the week he's had. When you look at kind of the month he's had, it's a good month. I mean, I think he had about, you know, six home runs coming into this past week. And so that's still really impressive. But this past week, I mean, every single day, it's been an HR on his stats. So yeah. I think I got a little bit lost in that. But you look back and I do a deeper dive into Bryce Harper, you're right. I mean, we look at the beginning of the month, he was having the same kind of, you know, he was having the same kind of presence at the plate appearance as Salvador Perez at the beginning of the month. But yeah, like you said, I mean, the on-base and slugging, I mean, it, it's pretty insane. It's pretty insane. Like you said, hit another home run. So now he's in the double digits for home runs, and that will be um, 10 home runs and already 10 doubles on the on the, uh, on the the month. Uh, super impressed by Bryce Harper. He was the reason they were you know surging in that NL East. When we look back at August 1st, the Phillies were in a very good spot. Since then, they've kind of slowed down. But, you know, it's not always, you know, one guy. One guy really can't carry the team. It takes the whole entire um, 25-man roster to carry that team to a division title. Um, and so it's a little bit disappointing the way the Phillies are going, but Bryce Harper has been red hot. And he's, of course, like you said, he's really made a resurgence in the NL MVP. With Tatis coming back, it'll get interesting towards the end of the season. But oh, yeah. Bryce Harper has... I mean, he's come back. So he, I think he's come back to almost that prime nationals, Bryce Harper, that we've seen last year. Had a very 
a low key but really good year last year. Hundred percent. And so it kind of um, cute us to look into him for this year MVP exactly. bet, which is looking like it could be uh, a solid, a solid pick. Um, exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I think we both agree that Mr. August is Bryce Harper, um, and it'll be interesting to see what he does in September, and kind of you know hopefully can see if we can help that Phillies team out and you know get them to the division. So make a push, yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, that perfectly leads kind of into our awards, Alex. And this, of course, will be the second to last time we do it before the season is officially uh, over. And so uh, I'll start with the MVPs. Um, I think it's pretty simple. I think the AL MVP we don't really we really don't have to cover. Uh, Shohei Otani has pretty much secured and locked that, especially with the way Vladdy has been kind of digressing, and he doesn't seem like he is showing the same bat that we yeah, saw in the he, first half. So Otani's bat has slipped a bit since the All Star break, but it's the pitching, <laughs> the pitching has been amazing, um, and both sides have been still All Star level. The thing is that yeah, like you said, Guerrero's not putting that pressure um, really on Otani at all. Uh, I, if the season ended today, Guerrero would probably be second in that voting. But it's it's not even like uh, it's not even like it's it's that close compared to Otani. If it ended today, it probably would be uh, a unanimous first place votes all going to Otani. I, I would only assume so. Um, not much more to discuss beyond that. Yeah, um, and then and then moving to NL, um, I actually kept around and still had Tatis Jr. as the NL MVP. I think when he came back, his first game back. I know he had one. I think he might have had two home runs in his first game back. I think he did, yeah. And, I mean, what better way to just kind of say I'm still the best player in the NL, at least right now, than, you know, having that sort of, you know, um, reappearance into uh, into the season. So uh, Tatis Jr. is still my ongoing NL MVP. The race, of course, has tightened with Bryce Harper. Um, but yeah, it, it, it seems like it's those two guys right now kind of fighting it out. It will be interesting. I can imagine, Alex, imagine both teams don't make the playoffs. That is definitely possible. And that would be a bit of a shocker. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and say my uh, National League MVP is right now Bryce Harper. So I actually already have Harper above Tatis, which um, may be a bit surprising. Um, but the games played are a slight edge to Harper at 109 compared to 100 for Tatis. But that's like a nitpick more mm-hmm. than anything else. Um, the main reason I went with Harper now is, Terrence, did you know that Harper is the only player in the MLB with an OPS above 1,000 right yeah, now? Yeah, that's right. Which is a bit of a crazy stat. Like this whole year, Tati, uh, sorry, this whole year, Otani and Guerrero have been above 1,000. Then Tatis got really hot in the middle of the year and climbed above 1,000. And they've all been up there by themselves, those three guys. They've all now dropped below 1,000. And Harper has climbed above, above 1,000. So... Um, right now, Harper, what he's doing with the bat, um, Tatis has been super impressive, but Harper's on base at 417 is elite, but still a very elite slugging as well at 586, even though Tatis gets that edge at, at six, uh, six, nine, 629. Um, another reason I went with Harper is also the, um, the Fangraphs war has, uh, Harper at 5.0, has Tatis at 4.8. So, um, I guess I just kind of looked at those numbers and said, Harper's bat uh, is a bit better in my eyes. He has a 163 WRC plus to Tatis is 159. So I think his bat is a little bit better. And the big nod that would go to Tatis is that he's the shortstop. He's a great base runner. Uh, the list goes on about what he can do. But with this injury making him become more or less a right fielder, now he's just playing the same position as Harper, right? Yeah. So the impact right. defensively is just the same. And if I if I like Harper's bat just a bit more, 
Then now they're playing the same position. I think the race becomes very even. And right now I have the slight edge going to Harper based on just uh, what I covered essentially. So Travis, I'll let you kind of give you a little rebuttal. Yeah, my only thing with that is, um, you know, you can't measure this, but I think when you look at excitement, Tatis totally towers over Harper. He's kind of the more attractive pick. And I think that sometimes voters go off that, which, you know, I see as being good. They for sure do go off that. I'm just trying to not do it for my own pick. No, exactly, exactly. And, um, and, you know, Harper's kind of just that low-key, under-the-radar guy. You know, you're right, still the only guy in baseball with uh, kind of Shohei and Vladdy dipping in the OPS um, section of the stat line. Harper is the only guy in the, in the, you know, above 1000. So I think that that's something really big and that Harper has going for him. I think also when you look at uh, MVP picks with a team kind of slipping like the Phillies, it does hurt that, hurt that kind of voting as well. So for me, I think it's going to be, it, it, it will suck when Harper probably will get, you know, less votes than Tatis for MVP just because the team success and also the overall like, oh, Tatis is more exciting than Harper, that will, of course, be kind of an, a, a letdown because, like you said, Harper's having a really good season at the plate, um, something that people aren't really recognizing. I think right now it's definitely those two at, at the top right now, but I think that Tatis, just with um, just with the season he's had and what he's been doing, able to do at shortstop, um, it, it speaks that, you know, n- not many players have been able to do this kind of, you know, do this kind of play at shortstop. So, that's my only thing with Tatis, and I think um, I think Alex, if you had a, if even if you had a bet right now, you'd probably say Tatis probably has a better edge than Harper. Um, but just with your it, right. instincts, it's it's still a good race. Yeah. So I guess yeah, it, it, I guess there's a difference in my mind between what I think the voters will pick and then what I would pick. Um, I would pick Harper if I had to bet on what the voters would pick right now. I would probably lean Tatis, but I think it's I think it's actually getting very close with the way the Padres are also not looking like that's true. Their odds their odds to make the playoffs get a bit lower every day that they don't make up ground on the Reds. I think they're only like one and a half back or something. But um, Travis, that's a kind of gap where if it slips to two and a half, and we're talking about like oh maybe there's like in a week from now there's only three four weeks left in the season. Things are getting very dicey. Could be. Could I was be. Lo- I was looking today, Travis, at the Reds' schedule for the rest of the season. It is very easy. They, <laughs> they play the Pirates a lot. They play the Angels. No, no, that's, that's the Padres play the Angels. I think, yeah, they play the Pirates a lot. Um, they play the Cardinals a few times, which that's almost one of their hardest opponents for the rest of the season is, is the is the Cardinals. Yeah. Um, but the Reds, I think they are going out on a one of the easiest strength of schedules there is. Padres still have to play uh, their divisional rivals. Yeah, Giants-Dodgers a lot. It's going to be tough. So um, that's not getting easier for the Padres by any means. Um, and they also just they also just split games one and one with the Angels in Anaheim. That's the kind of series that the Padres need to be looking to win 2-0 to make up that ground. And Tatis has been struggling in that regard. He did not have a big series against the Angels. He didn't have a big series against the Dodgers just last week. Um, he had the big home run in that crazy extra inning game that I stayed up for and was like, when can I go to bed? But, <laughs> That's right. But um, essentially, Harper's not had, or sorry, um, Harper has had some big series, whereas Tatis is not as of late. So I'm really going all in on the Harper stock. I think at this rate, um, Harper is a great shot to get the MVP, even for the voters, in a couple of weeks here. So we'll see how things continue to trend going into September. It'll be a fun exclamation point on the year. But right now, I do have Harper um, over Tatis. And it's small. It's very close. Obviously, it's very close. And Tatis has had a very special season. But um, I just think Harper's bat is a little bit better. 
and Tatis uh, currently is now playing right field too. So defensively, was the difference? That'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So I think now we can shift over to Cy Young, Travis. Mm-hmm. Um, Want to mm-hmm. give us your thoughts for that? Yeah. So um, actually, you know, two two changes, two new guys for me uh, for a, for AL for AL Cy Young. I'm actually leaning back towards Garrett Cole, the Cole train. Um, reason for him is, you know, he actually was silent, I believe, with a small little injury. I think with um, with the whole, you know, uh, sticky substance, he actually went on, the, went on the aisle for a little bit, but then also was on the aisle with COVID. So he has missed some starts, but it's funny. He still leads Lance Lynn in um, innings pitched. Mm-hmm. So he still is going deep into ball games. Um, still leads the American League in wins. Still leads the American League in strikeouts, and actually has, uh, you know, one of the things I know you always talk about is FIP. Uh, actually leads the AL in FIP and has the best WHIP in the American League, as well as strikeouts per nine. So he's definitely pitching um, very efficiently. And you know what? The ERAs are very close right now. Lynn almost about at a two. He's right now at a two point six. Cole is at a two point eight. So very, you know. Very getting very closer now, and I just see that stock with the Yankees right now. How good they're doing! Um, I think that's for some reason. I think that voters, of course, like that, and they really want to see that. Right now, the Yankees have, if I'm not mistaken, the same record or a better record than the Chicago White Sox. And the Chicago White Sox are, you know, leading the division right now, um, and they're going to win the AL Central by a large margin. Running away, yeah. they're running away with it. So you got to be interested. You know, it's kind of curious to see that. Will the White Sox kind of? not show up in October when they get there. They're going to they're not going to have to play a wild card game. They're going to play in a divisional matchup and it'll be interesting to see what happens during that divisional matchup. Still have really good pitching with Rodon and Lynn, but um yeah, I, I think I think the the race is getting very tight and I like the way Cole is trending. Um and I think right now he's been, you know, kind of uh pushing it and really shoving it to Lance Lynn. I think Lance Lynn has kind of kind of stepped off the gas pedal, but um, it'll be interesting. Right now, I have Garrett Cole as the AL Cy Young. NL Cy Young, I've talked about this last week. Um, right now, I have Walker Bueller. Um, and that race is very close. You have so many good pitchers in the National League. We just talked about it. You know, Corbin Burns and Woodruff being on a very good Brewers team. Uh, Wheeler still being competitive out there. Gosman still being in charge of, you know, the best team in baseball, the San Francisco Giants. It'll be interesting to see how the voting all goes down. But right now, of course, Walker... Um, all the stats are like in the top three when it comes to, uh, you know, pitching stats, war, ERA, innings pitch, all that stuff, strikeouts. Uh, Walker Bueller is doing very well when it comes to all those NL leaderboards. So those are my two guys. Um, and I'll let you uh, take the floor from here. Yeah. So we actually have different names for both, which is interesting. We do. So, okay. So American League, we'll start there. Uh, American League, I still have Lance Lynn. Okay. Uh, I almost agree with everything you said about the AL. Um, because I agree, Cole is trending up. I think I still have a slight edge to Lynn, but um, everything you said about Cole, all the stats he leads in, the strikeouts, the FIP, it's all very good. An interesting kind of uh, thing I want to bring up real quick, um, just for like the listeners to kind of, I guess, see how I kind of view things. It, it, it's You have to make a decision when you're trying to pick who, you, who you're going to go with. Um, you can go based on like, uh, how good like someone is performing in terms of like just the raw numbers like how what are you producing how many runs are scoring when you're pitching and you can look at it another way too as um if you have a really great fip that means like okay you actually have 
maybe it doesn't really care about how many runs you let in. It only cares about like, are you allowing home runs? Are you getting strikeouts? Are you avoiding walks? So sometimes players can have really bad luck with like balls in play. I think that's what happened to Cole. I think Cole, uh, I think the reason why he has more earned runs uh, allowed than Lynn is because of like bad luck with balls in play. I think his strikeout numbers are better. His He doesn't allow very many home runs and he also has um, been really great at avoiding walks. So I think that Cole has been pitching better, but Lynn's numbers show he's performed better in terms of limiting runs. So it's almost just like an interesting thing where if I had to invest in someone, I would be investing in Cole because his FIP is better. A lot of his expected stats are better. Um, but in terms of what they have done as of right now, I think Lynn just having the lower ERA just kind of shows that less people are scoring when he is pitching. But I think Cole is doing a better job of getting weaker contact. He's doing a better job of um, striking people out. And Lynn has just kind of gotten some better luck with balls in play. So that, that's my two cents on, I guess, like, you have to kind of approach it a different way. But I completely agree with everything you said about Cole. I would be buying Cole stock right now. But if it ended today, I would give my vote to Lynn just because the ERA is, is quite a bit lower, at 0.2 lower. So mm-hmm. that's my thoughts on the whole thing. But um. I think it's you and I agree. It's like a one A one B race. Like yeah. these two guys are at the top of the list. Um, Rodon actually heard got activated. I think today back okay. from IL. So I think it's too late for him to climb back into the race. But um, there are still some other AL guys looking in. But I think it's a two man race right now for sure. It's funny that the awards are so you know so close, so tight, and you just see Shohei Otani just kind of waving and saying, uh, "I've already got this thing yeah. locked up." So he's just kind of on a nice cruise control yeah, the, for the, the AL. The MVP. AL MVP is the one award that is not a not not a contest by any means right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, and I'll slide over to the NL now to uh, my pick, which is going to be Corbin Burns. So okay. I currently have Corbin Burns as my National League Cy Young. Um, he leads uh, not only the National League but in baseball and a lot of stuff. So he's second in ERA, two point three behind your guy you picked, which is Walker Bueller. So he's got 2.3 ERA, um, and he has fewer innings pitched than Bueller, I believe. But um, what I will say about him is that he has the best FIP in baseball, a 1.64. This pretty, this pretty much tells us that his ERA being this low is not like a fluke on like balls in play being unlucky or something. He actually is just doing this well. Um, he has the least home runs per nine in all of baseball. He has the least walks per nine in the National League, and he has the most strikeouts per nine in all of baseball, the most strikeouts per walk in all of baseball. So Burns just has putting up a bunch of really great kind of rate-based stats. Um, Per nine numbers are just amazing. Um, And when it comes down to it, I could see Bueller getting the edge because of A, the ERA, and then B, the innings pitched is also both. Two very important stats for Sayang are both in favor of Bueller. I'm more impressed with what Burns has done this season. Um, I think that he's the guy who I would be investing in to have a really great finish to the year. Like I said, that FIP is just like astronomically low at 1.64 leads baseball. So um, I was going to say, it's funny that, uh, you know, looking back even at 2019, two guys in the awards race, Yelich and Bellinger, for the MVP. Now you got, of course, again, Dodgers and Brewers Funny always point. competing for kind of those awards. It kind of reminded me, you're talking right there, where it could be going back just the Dodgers because for some reason, some voters will say, oh, big market, more exciting. Uh, better record. Better record. And it's kind of a weird way to look at it, but that's the way they kind of go about it. No. And, and it, it, it could have another guy get kind of screwed, like Yelich got screwed in 19. And that's a good point because, um, yeah, it, it, it will come down to markets. Um, 
Bellinger obviously edged out Yelich in that 2019 National League MVP race, and Bellinger had an amazing season, so you can't knock it. But uh, Yelich that year had the best OPP, OPS plus in baseball and did not get the award. So um, it almost could be a similar scenario here with Bueller getting the award over Burns. But we'll have to wait and see. One other thing I, I love about, um, I guess what I see for, uh, for Burns here is I believe he has the second best uh, Fangraphs war in all of baseball, um, which is just another kind of... Uh, Sorry, that's for pitchers. This, he and Wheeler are just one and two. So um, I just love what I'm seeing from Burns. Uh, I guess if I had to, if it ended today, I would be picking Burns, even though I admit that Bueller's had a really crazy month and that ERA favors Bueller by quite a bit. Um, I guess I, I'll just go ahead and say that um, I, I expect Burns to kind of finish strong here based on that fit, but based on the numbers he's putting up on a rate basis, if he can stay healthy, I think he'll finish super strong. Um, and it'll come down to the voters. It, 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 we'll see, you know, which way they lean. But I'm I'm leaning towards Burns. Um, okay. And then so now we can switch over to Rookie of the Year, Travis, and uh, wrap this up there. Um, I guess uh, I can start out. Uh, I actually had some changes since past lists. American League, I have Randy Rosarena. Okay. And he is someone who I believe neither of us have had all season on our list because we've just been on the Adolis Garcia hype yeah, train. Right. I went with Badu one month, but. Um, Randy Rosarena has had a very good month of baseball himself, uh, so I'm leaning towards him for the American League. Uh, in the National League, I actually am sticking with Trevor Rogers. Um, he has had such a surprising year. Um, I had to give it the nod to him, even though there's one other guy who's really creeping close to him. So I'll let you go ahead and say your two names, and we can kind of discuss the stats. Yeah, so NL, again, Trevor Rogers. Uh, we agree on that portion. I, I hear a lot of people even saying, like, Jazz Chisholm. Um, people were saying that guy for the Miami Marlins. Um, I think that Rogers numbers are still just very, very impressive for even being a rookie. So I'm going to keep it there. And then for the AL, I'm actually going to keep it still with Adolis Garcia. Probably will have 30 home runs on the year. Um, and actually, I think he leads all rookies in war. That's because he's actually been playing the whole season. Well, you look at even guys like uh, Wander Franco. I mean, the war is creeping up to Adolis because he's been so efficient the past 50 games. Um, and then you're, you're right. Randy Rosarena has actually had a very good season so far. I think we just got too used to Randy Rosarena in being Barry Bonds 2020 <laughs> postseason that we look at this season as kind of a letdown. But the guy is still putting together a very good season, um, almost a three war this season, um, has a 129 OPS plus, which is still very impressive for a rookie. Um, that's something that most, you know, big league veterans can't do um, ever in their career. And so Randy Rosarena is still putting together a very good season. It'll come down to, um, I think it'll come really just come down to, you know, uh, both individual successes and to see, you know, how they all finish out the season. Um, Adolis, of course, home runs. Uh, Randy, pretty much all around kind of aspect of the game. Adolis having an all-star nod to his name this season as well. I wonder if that also inspires, you know, a lot of the voters to say, okay, that's my kind of credentials is he actually was an all-star in the first half. Randy wasn't um, kind of go things off like that, but uh, it's tight. I think that the, the rookie of the year, of course, we'd agree is, is just kind of a, it's most years, of course, it could be very, just kind of a toss up. I mean, you really can't say yeah. who's the guy. I think a lot of times we don't even know who, who rookie is. We, I think there's so many times where rookies will just be like 
oh, I totally forgot about that guy. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's that might happen even this year where you might say, oh, I totally forgot about that guy. One guy too, even like Brandon Marsh with the Angels. I know we've been very high with him. The the he's month come on strong yeah. in the last like fourteen games, he has been an insane like, like four hundred or something insane presence at the plate with an on base of almost five hundred or something like that, and and slugging in, very impressive. I mean, just literally hitting gap shots and had a first home run uh, last week. So you know you see a lot of these guys come on and sometimes you even see some of these rookie of the years just come on and have really impressive, you know, 60 games to finish the season. And sometimes that really grants them the award. Um, I think Adolis, which is, you know, favoring, favoring him right now is he's played the whole season. He's kind of just been the main guy for the Texas Rangers. And of course having an all-star, um, you know, patch on him this season, I think that will help him out in the voting, but, um, anything to add on that? Yeah, just briefly. Um, I, I, the the argument for Adolis, he does lead a Rosarena in both base reference and Fangraphs war. A big reason for that, I think, is possibly the defense. Um, playing center field a lot of the time is going to help Adolis in that war conversation. He is a positive rated defender by Fangraphs. Um, so, uh, also five more games played than a Rosarena. So all that is kind of leading towards Garcia. But uh, the one twenty five WRC plus for a Rosarena compared to a, a one thirteen by Garcia. Um, is the real reason that sold me. Uh, Garcia's on-base percentage is now dipped below 300. He's at 296. Um, the power is still impressive, and the home run total is still impressive. He's going to get to 30, it's looking like, which is going to be great for a rookie year. I just think that um, the on-base is just too low for me. It's um, awful. <laughs> to, go, to go for him. It's, it's pretty awful. I was looking at it right now, too. But um, And then Rosarena is up at 351, which is a, a great number to be at. But uh, like you like you mentioned, the home runs are favoring Garcia. Uh, Seventeen home runs on the year for Rosarena, which is still very respectable. He could be over twenty in no time. I know he's had a hot pickup this month. Um, but yeah, it, I mean that's an interesting race to track. Um, also in the NL, I wanted to briefly shout out uh, Jonathan India. I had his name written down because um, I really thought it, I would give it to him. But uh, his WAR is neck and neck with Trevor Rogers. Uh, and Jonathan Indians had a great on-base season. He actually has a great on-base percentage. Um, but the slugging is not amazing. Um, but what I will say is that the Rodgers ERA is just really crazy. He's still down like a 2.7, I believe, which is just like, what is that? Like, it, it, you're, yeah, you're, you're yeah. just you're really in the league of your own in terms of rookie pitching this year. So um, I went with Rodgers as well. And we agreed there, well, which is good. Um, so I think that pretty much wraps up the whole segment, Travis. Um, there are some other snubs that we could mention, but... I think we pretty much covered most things. Uh, anything else you want to cover, I guess, before we wrap things up? Yeah, nothing else. I mean, it'll be interesting to see a lot of these names that we picked, Alex. You know, next time we do this, it'll be the final time. And hopefully we'll be, you know, pretty on, you know, we'll be pretty spot on with, you know, what the MLB comes out with in uh, the end of the season as well. I know I think they usually come out with this list either, you know, during the playoffs or possibly even after the playoffs. I think it's after the playoffs when all those awards come out. They come out with their all MLB team. And actually, it's part of a fan vote too. So it'll be interesting to see how we do with our list and how the MLB kind of judges their list. Um, But I think that most of the stuff we're pretty spot on about. I think um, you'll probably, of course, have some popular picks, which, you know, we don't want to always be that way. But you'll see some popular picks, you know, take over on that. But um yeah, it'll be interesting. A lot of these guys, like you said, are neck and neck when it comes to these numbers. I keep going back to third base. Devers and Ramirez right now are so close. I mean, you looked at those numbers. They are incredibly close with everything that they're providing. So hopefully this month, one of them will kind of 
take a step back and one of them will kind of take a step and, forward so and a lot can happen happen because yeah. we know what happened for the mvp race for harper this month you know exactly in one month's time he hits you know 10 home runs in a month and it changes the whole race so exactly um we'll see who we'll see who has that kind of september and who can jump into a race of their own so yeah i think it pretty much wraps everything up uh thanks so much for listening everyone we appreciate your your support as always give us a follow on spotify why not give us a follow on apple, apple podcast Wherever you're listening to us, shout us out. Um, We always appreciate all the love um, and uh, hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Uh, Take care. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. (laughs)